Hello, everybody. Welcome to Clappercast episode 69. Nice. Yeah, it's 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 a good episode number. Uh, I'm your host today, Carson Tamar, joined by the lovely Alina Falds. Hello, Alina. And Paul Price is also here. How are you guys doing today? Doing well. Same. My MacBook is finally fixed, so I sound good again. Thank God. I really missed watching movies in bed, so I'm a happy girl. Yes, well, that is good to hear. And today we have a stacked episode. Yes, we have a new release of Candyman. Yes, we have news. But of course, also because like for being our ages, especially, we're absolutely just like children. Uh, we did each pick a film for our Cloudcast Film Spotlight. It has to do with sex. I'm not going to, you know, I don't know why we randomly decided to do it on this episode, but maybe we decided, you know, episode 69 comes once, once in a lifetime. So we really got to celebrate nice. it. Um, thank you for that, Paul. And before we get to that, though, let's get through the news. Let's get through the reviews this week. Let's get through like the work stuff and then we'll have our fun afterwards. This is like one could say the foreplay, maybe who knows. Um, and let's start with the news. And the one news I do want to start out with is the TIFF drama. We did talk about this during, I believe it was Tribeca, where all the fucking critics came out of the fucking woods and, oh, I'm so mad. Oh, I'm turning in my press badge because things are not available online. And we kind of discussed it, but none of us were attending Tribeca. So it was a little hard to chat about. This time, me and Alina both are covering TIFF. I'm covering for my website. Alina is covering for uh, Clapper. and it, they I'm revealed... not covering for any. Yeah, well... If you were a good critic, maybe you would be. But side uh, point. I didn't. I, I didn't know that I was going to be left out, uh, treated like dirt, um, just I'm casually sorry. thrown aside. After all those I'm great sorry. Fantasia reviews you posted, also you know what? I had jury duty, so I'm sorry. I was doing my civic duty instead of like I don't know writing reviews for movies I didn't like. <laughs> I assure you reviewing you like can't that's kill meme was harder than anything you had to do so <laughs> oh you know. not even close um we'll save it for my recommendation but oh god <laughs> anyway uh so me and you Alina are covering TIFF and they released this week the schedule of what's going to be available and it turns out most of the big movies are not going to be available for critics online. Um, you are going in person, so you kind of have that one up against us. Um, but yeah. what are your what are your thoughts? Why don't you start out, and we can just give our own individual thoughts on this development and this drama, the tea. Yeah. Okay. So I do feel really bad that all you Americans and foreigners can't watch all the cool stuff online, but like I also kind of feel good because I feel like Canadians get left out of a lot of bullshit. So it's kind of nice that I have this like one thing over anyone else. It's kind of like, damn, that sucks though, but couldn't be me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you do get to see Darren <laughs> Hansen a week early. So like- I am not watching that Carson. Like I am not wasting my day going to see that when it comes out a week later. I cannot, I'm not doing it. Would you go to Clifford if no. it was still on the schedule though? <laughs> yes. Um, the one big thing that I do really want to like try and see in person is Spencer, maybe Dune. But like the thing that stresses me out is I've never done press or like press before and not at TIFF and like the press in-person screenings are like ticketed and they're like not releasing until like the first of September anyway, which is like nine days before the festival. So like, I don't even know if I'll be able to see in this, but I have the chance and it's a better chance than you do. 
<laughs> Thanks <But> like, for <laughs> that. Um, no, I do is, actually feel really bad. It's shitty. It is really shitty. It is genuinely hey. like, I don't know, depressing is the right word. Some emotion that like in 10 days from recording this or two weeks, whatever you like, I don't know what day it's actually screening. Like you could see Spencer. Cause like this week we also got the poster and trailer. And now it's like, oh, I'm really excited for that. Kind of wish wanna, I was seeing it in two weeks. Yeah, Paul. You want to hear something really embarrassing? Um, so I did not know it was the same director as Jackie, and I don't particularly find Kristen Stewart to be mm, the, my cup of tea. So I got an early screener access uh, to go see it, and I was like, no. And then I found out it was the director of Jackie, and I've just been like sitting there just like, oh. I would have been able to see it in like April. <laughs> I literally could have seen Get Out three months only, on, early, and I passed on it because I was like, that's just going to be a shitty horror film. So like, I get your pain. Um, I, here's the thing about, I'll say for m- myself, number one, like it is TIFF. It is the Toronto International Film Festival. In any other year outside of this and last year, I wouldn't have been able to see anything because I wouldn't be able to go to Toronto. So like, I'm grateful for anything. So I think a lot of people kind of like need to calm down on that front. Also like, yes, those big titles are not there, but there's like a shit ton of good stuff still. Like this is a stacked yeah. festival when you really get into there's it. There's like 200 freaking things in selection. Yeah. Like y- you're gonna have other things to watch. Semi-major directors and like, you know, decent stuff. There's like 40 films still available, like at least Imagine to America. And I know there's other semi- countries that have issues. <laughs> Imagine being called a semi-important director. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, I mean, you, let's, we don't need to get into, we don't need C-lister. names, but some of these directors, I mean, they they're, kind of are. they're really yeah. good C-list. Yeah. yeah. And like, honestly, the other thing is all of these big movies that people are going to miss at TIFF, they're going to other festivals. They're going to yeah. be out within the next three months anyway. So like, it's not like you're waiting that long anyway. So like, while I understand that it is shitty, get over it it's not that much longer of a wait. It's really not. <laughs> no, even like in just September alone, we're getting the eyes of Tammy Faye, Dear Evan Hans. Like we're getting plenty that month alone. So like mm-hmm. it really, I don't, I, it's like, yes, it's kind of annoying. Yes, I want to see Spencer, but it's really not that big of a deal. And if anything, at least I can come on this podcast afterwards and be like, well, I saw these films and Paul didn't get to see it. So like <laughs> even on the staircase here, you might be at the top, Alina, and I'll admit that, but I'm not at the bottom see, here. So at least the that's The funny good. part is though, I did look at the list and I was really ready to be like jealous. And I was sitting there, I was like, meh. Um, I just, the only one I want to see is Power of the Dog. And- that's going to be on. <laughs> you want to see this is the next film from the person who did Host? You liked Host. You loved Host, didn't you? Yes, I did. But I don't know. I, I feel like. And one- guess who's going to see it? Guess who's not going <laughs> to see it? I mean, okay, stop I, bullying Paul. <laughs> I, I just. I, I didn't feel good about myself, Alina. You just tore me down. <laughs> um, I will say, though, um, the only film festival, you know, uh, just talking as someone, because I'm sure a lot of our listeners are also um, like me, just normal people and not part of the cultural elite. Um, But, uh, you know, I feel like the only one that I ever like legitimately like regret not being a part of is the Sundance. And that's because like those movies, they come out in February and then you never hear about, you read all about it and then it'll be I know COVID was specifically, but sometimes it's still a year before those movies come out. I feel like Venice, mm-hmm. I feel like TIFF, I feel like, uh, you know, uh, any of those other similar ones, um, Berlin, things like that. 
you like know that they're going to come out within the next like six months max. And then, but Sundance is the, the wild card to me. That's the one that I'm always like, like mass. I told all these people to watch mass and now we're, you know, like what, what, what nine months out and still like, <laughs> is there even a release date? Um, me with you know, flea. Definitely yeah. me with flea. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if you yeah, ever I, want someone to split a place and ride up to Sundance with you, I mean, I'm not going to say I'm down. But like, I mean, uh, but we'll probably do it. Yeah. Um, well, you know, as we have, what, 200,000 listeners at this point? Um, or are we <laughs> close to a million somewhere in there? I would say closer uh, to a million. Yeah. yeah um, that we're, you know, I would say celebrities at this point. So I would assume we could just get our own chalet. <laughs> We do have fans. That's confirmed that we have fans. Hello, fans. I mean, you guys have fans. (laughs) (laughs) We'll let you come on the private yacht we take to Cannes. Don't worry, Paul. We'll let you ride with us. I have someone who specifically said he has two notes and both were keep Paul off the podcast. (laughs) And I agree. I I didn't think he said any lies, to be honest. And I've been very anyway. positive since then. So I know I noticed that change after Carson sent us the email <laughs> that you've been trying to not be such an asshole. Don't worry, we reformed him, everyone. <laughs> we did it. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. Send Chris your hate mail. Been... It will make Paul more like happy and positive. <laughs> Send more hate mail. I know someone who listens to this could probably write a book about how much he hates you. So, oh God, thank you. Yeah. I'm so glad I have so many fans. <laughs> um, but yeah, <laughs> write in and say how much you like me. That would be that would be great. <laughs> we got this horrible spam email when we started the um, email saying someone liked you. It was horrible. It was from like at price like tag or something. I don't know. That yeah, I think I think that person um, is a genius. And <laughs> luckily, um, I responded. We... Please don't send spam to this email. And they haven't <laughs> responded back, so they really got the message at least. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, uh, from your, your point of, uh, what you're talking about with the TIFF stuff, it does feel like from someone who can't even, I don't think I can even rent the movies, like paying for them. I don't think only Canada. Um, Yeah. Just feels very like, um, eh, like I can't care at all to the point that when you guys were talking about the TIFF drama, I was like, there's TIFF drama. Well, that's me uh, whenever it's in person. It's just not that it's online that it matters. But like when it's in person, you can't give a fuck or else like you'll self-destruct because you can't be there. Like just like with like Venice, like I don't know what's happening at Venice. I don't care what's happening at Venice in a week because like why would I, why would it be in my like circle? It's like yeah. earlier this summer when we talked about the can stuff and I was like, I don't give a fuck. I'm not going. Just like keep that energy, people. Don't worry, it's fine. I will say you should go see the worst uh, woman in the world or worst person in the world if you get a chance to. It is on my list. You told me to walk, put it on my list, so don't worry. It's phenomenal. I will attempt. Um, <laughs> with that, we talked about films releasing in September. I want to go on a little rant, and if you guys want to jump in, great. This week we got the first like big promotion for Cinderella. Now, to be clear, I don't think this film's going to be good. Um, James Corden will is not. writing it. I'm a big James Corden stan, but He's whatever. writing it? Yeah, he has a screenplay credit on it. Shut up, I didn't know that. But everyone, oh, <laughs> no, shut the fuck up, okay? This is not all about the movie. This is about the promotion. 
And this week, you had the whole video come out of someone filming the sidewalk uh, or crossway karaoke or whatever, James Corden like humping a car. And everyone was like, this is miserable. Can we not just have fun anymore? Like we've talked no. about so much shit team <laughs> stuff on here. Like, yes, to all the boys other than number three is not a good series. The kissing booth sucks. He's all that, which we're talking about next week. Next week is going to be all films, really, that are like shitty films, but like they are fun. Why in the promotion? I get if you watch the movie and you're like, that was a waste of two hours. This 15 second clip of James Corden humping a car, like everyone's like, this is disgusting. How dare he? This is like, I'm going to throw up. It's a fat man in a rat suit humping a car. Like it's funny. Like (laughs) why can no one, why is everyone so fucking negative anymore? (laughs) It's not high art. That's the fucking point. Everyone is like, they release this fucking 15 second song of her singing. It's like, who cares? People are so negative. And literally I just got mad this week. Cause I'm like, why is it so negative and distressed? Destructive and like toxic. Okay. It's fucking James Corden. Who cares? I, okay. Here's the thing. I feel like everyone in that group, except Adina Menzel, is known to be like kind of a diva. So, like, I mean, Billy Porter, there's stories. There's stories about Camilla Cabello. There's stories about James Corden. So, I feel like it was just this like onslaught of all these people who are like, you know, uh, this like, you know, I don't want to say like, again, cultural elite, but it kind of feels like that. And they're like, look at you normies. <laughs> like, let me hump your car. Aren't you going to enjoy this? <laughs> I'm filming it for a promotion for a movie you will hate. <laughs> like, There is a point where it's like, you know, but I also think, you know, you were mentioning in our group chat, like, oh, people have, you know, done this they've done this many many times for all these different movies sure but we've never gotten a video of what it's like to be in the car and so when you like see it and it's clean and slick and you know there's Hugh Jackman dancing with Zendaya and Zac Efron you're like oh okay this is kind of cool and then (laughs) you see what it's actually like and it's these people who are singing off key (laughs) <laughs> like humping you in a rat suit and screaming in a song at you and like it really feels like the panic attack and I think everyone in that moment you could feel like what you would do in that situation cheer like usually I would cheer I would be like this is amazing usually... this is the best thing I've ever experienced in my life <laughs> you know and that... also I I like honestly don't think that most people are not that negative about it and they just do it to like dunk on James Corden for Twitter likes because like it's a thing to do that it's always been a thing to dunk on James Corden for Twitter likes you know valid I get it it just reminds me a lot Paul and I know this is going to speak to you we're both fans of the movie Cats to some degree I'm not going to speak to how much of a fan you are I really like Cats and I like the soundtrack it is not supposed to be like people go into cats and they are like, oh, it doesn't have this deep plot and it doesn't have this. Like, it's not supposed to be. The point of cats is it's like, look how fucking terrible and creepy they look as me- the play specifically. Like, these humans are just in these horrible costumes. They look like cats and they're dancing around like cats. That's stupid. Like, it's dumb fun. And like, who cares after we've been in a pandemic for a year and a half, it's like, really, we can't let we're too like high class as a society to laugh at like James Corden in a rat suit. Like, come on guys. It, it really is not supposed to be that deep. And I think looking at it and trying to be like, Oh, it's not deep. So it's bad. Like 
I don't know. I really was not a fan of the conversation. Do you have a question though? I do have a question. Wait. Did Pierce wait? I, this is just one question. So yes or no. Did Pierce Ross didn't participate in this sidewalk theater, crosswalk no, theater, whatever was, the hell it was Billy Porter. Cause I, it was Billy, yeah, I know he's in it. It wasn't, I don't even think it was the uh, guy who plays the prince was even there. It was like just the like mm-hmm. Broadway and performer people. Um, yeah. There was a movie we just talked about, and maybe you'll remember. Um, I'm going to need a little bit more description oh. than that. Oh, okay. Okay. I remembered. Annette. It's similar <laughs> to me to mm-hmm. Annette in that it's camp that's trying to be camp. And in that case, makes you feel gross. And then the reactions are what are funny. Um, and I think like, I don't think any of these people, to Alina's point, I don't think any of these people are particularly mad about it. Like, I don't think like, I mean, I'm sure there are, but like the things I was saying were people were like dunking in a really like similar to Kat's way. Um, you know, uh, I also don't think James Corden, you know, is worried about it. I'm sure he's like looking and he's like, cool. Now everyone knows this new Cinderella movie's coming out. And we're all going to hate it and it's probably going to be the number one amazon movie um (laughs) like uh but yes actually to your point carson the clip of her singing is one of the worst things i've seen in a while um this like the staging of it the song itself it's just like it's actively embarrassing Um, see and that's the thing though and you mentioned annette i'm not mad if people watch the movie of Cinderella and waste their hour and a half to two hours with a net, it was two and a half hours. That's a reason to be mad because it wasted your time and gave you a negative experience. Even if you do not find anything comical about this clip, let's say of James Corden humping a car in a rat costume, let's be very clear also what it is. Like it took up 15 seconds of your time. It's not worth getting like upset over. But I think I, I think the other thing is that people don't understand that it is during uh, the red light and that it's all very like planned. So like people are seeing it and they're like thinking of it the same way as like protests or like car accidents or like, you know, things that really like stop you and you're stuck. And like a lot they're of the worried stories James are like- Corn's going to get Joe belled in the middle of the yeah, street. Right. <laughs> pancaked um no it's like uh but i think that that's what people are doing because you see a lot of the original jokes like when we first were reacting was like pov your wife's pregnant in the back seat giving birth to the baby (laughs) james corden's pumping your car in a rat suit um i also think it's like like you know a lot of people are mad that he like made fun of cats and was like you know I'm better than this. This is bad. And then he purposefully is the one who humps a car. Like, it's not like he was paid by a director to hump a car. He went, you know what I should do right now? I should hump this car in a rat suit. Um, And in that way, (laughs) it's a, it's a thing. The thing that kills me the most about this um, crosswalk, the theater is what James Corden calls it. I just checked is that Adina Menzel has done this twice. She was in the Frozen one. She did this twice. <laughs> she loved it so Why? much. She said, James, we got to do this again. I, know. I mean, there's been That's some the fun ones. I love the it. Harry Styles one. I love the, the Cats one. The Beauty and the one. Beast one was fun. 
the beauty yeah. and the beast one was fun from what I remember I've watched all of them because I I watch all of the crosswalk musicals because they're funny and I watch all of the spill your guts or fill your guts that's like I was about to say I was about to take your take a break whatever that one uh, is those I are the three those. I watch oh, I haven't watched that um I only watch the spill your guts or fill your guts and I will say that uh the Spill your guts or fill your guts with, and I think I've referenced this before on this podcast. The Charlie Puth you've said you have. Yes. The Charlie Puth up clip is one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my entire life. Like hands down. Um, who is she with? Um, or who is he with? Uh, Rebecca, the girl from crazy ex-girlfriend. Um, girlfriend. Rachel Bloom. Rachel Bloom. I don't like Rachel Bloom. I know that she's supposed to be a bad person, but she is so funny in that, um, that she lies about the fact that she's watched Downton Abbey and it comes out in front of everyone. It's so good. And she makes Charlie Puth eat like some horrible thing. And she's like, can I eat it for him? And he tries to eat it and almost throws up. It's just, it's art. Um, because I think ultimately, you know, uh, and actually using that versus this, uh, I think you can really uh, explain something about like our things with celebrity culture. This feels more like uh, Gal Gadot's Imagine than like uh, <laughs> something that like, it's like the celebrities are having fun, but it's so performative. It's like, I know what I'm doing here. Da, 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 da. Um, and I think that people are over that. I think that we're looking for those moments where they seem like human beings. Um and I think that's why the spill your guts, fill your guts works more. Um, I'm not a James Corden hater. Uh, his show, Gavin and Stacey, was pretty fun. I think he was the writer on that. I know he's the star. And like for a while when he would show up, I liked that he was there. Um, I just, I'm not a huge fan right now, but that could change. You know, he could, he could do some things to fix that. Be nice to his staff. James, if you're listening, just, be nice to your staff. <laughs> I just appreciate I'm how sorry, much of a madman he is. Shit. Listen, uh, he is because do you, like, I, I kind of have a soft spot for him, but, like, the fact that he put Harry Styles and Kendall Jenner on a spill your guts or fill your guts together, that was, like, absolute psychopath energy. Well, not just, <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, he also, <laughs> like, I, I don't know, like, I've heard stories about like if he doesn't like apples or something, he like throws them out and like then makes the intern go get new apples, even though they're perfectly fine apples. <laughs> I'm saying an intern. It was one of my friends. Um, he like dumped the whole thing of apples and was like, go get more apples. He was like, that's going to take me like 45 minutes. It's like, I don't fucking care. Um, he also is a chain smoker. I don't know if that matters, but it's very interesting. His wife doesn't think he smokes and he chain smokes at work. Well, I hope See, James Corden as a smoker on our <laughs> podcast to his wife. Do you know the amount of times I've told like insider celebrity things that I know? And I'm just like, you know what? These people need to be uh, raked through the coals. James Corden, if you're listening to this, pay us a million dollars for us to not tell your wife that you're a chain smoker. I want to move out of my parents' house. A member if of you don't give us a million dollars, we're not going to edit that out, James. The time, the clock is ticking. The clock is Carson, ticking. Carson, you were so editing that out. You're going to be like, oh my poor James. <laughs> I mean, look, I, I want to make Daddy James happy. Okay. 
Oh, is that what this is? Is this like outside, a thing? Outside like, of the prom. The prom is the only thing. You want to get humped I... by a rat, James Corden. <laughs> Stop going in my fantasies like, on the podcast, that... Paul. <laughs> like, I told you that stays off the my podcast. <laughs> into the group it's really chat. fitting for episode 69. <laughs> Well, moving on, Elena, you had a somewhat <laughs> moving similar Moving on to. <laughs> well, no, I do want to move on. I think bring up 69 is quite, you know, important here because there was something this week that made about a million nerds orgasm on the spot, which was the Spider-Man No Way Home trailer. And Alina, I know that you had somewhat of a similar reaction where you were kind of not thrilled by some of the negativity online around the trailer. Um, I don't know if you want to share your thoughts on the trailer. I know I think you're a pretty big Spider-Man fan. Um, yeah, this I'm probably a whore big for news. Marvel. Yeah, we'll uh, go for it. I am a slut for Marvel and I own it. I fucking love the MCU. Um, I was that bitch in high school who showed up two hours early on a Friday night opening because I wanted to see it for everyone else. I wanted to sit in my spot. I showed up to the theater early because this was back in the days when you could not pick your seat in the theater. You had to fucking, you had to, had to do it. <clears throat> so like, I understand why their mcu haters but also i don't understand why they go like so hard because like it doesn't affect you at all like i was listening to the podcast that jack was on last and like i love jack we know i love jack and he there was this he said something like how he was like worried about like how much people liked marvel movies and like why why does that worry you it doesn't matter how much people love marvel movies it literally does not affect you at all some people just don't give a shit about film and they just want to go and watch the latest like blockbuster and that's fine and we should let them. It doesn't matter at all. So like, I'm excited for Spider-Man. What's wrong with a whole bunch of Spider-Mans and Spider-Man villains from like the old Sam Raimi movies all coming together? I'm excited. Let people enjoy things. Fuck off. It's going to make a billion dollars anyway. Doesn't affect you at all. Fuck off. Those are my thoughts. Wait, also... Uh when dr octopus says like hello peter he's not talking to tom holland's peter right we can collectively agree on that it's toby right because he doesn't know who tom holland's peter is agreed that stresses me out that line in particular um, but those it are does my thoughts it does kind of bother me that was the one thing about the trailer is i well I'll, I'll say first i kind of i i do agree with you overall like especially based on a trailer I get not being excited for these films. I'm not at all excited for Shang-Chi. I'm not at all excited for the Eternals. I am interested in Spider-Man. I'm not a huge Marvel fan. I think fan. it's Shang-Chi. Sure. Yeah, um, I saw uh, Simu Liu say Shang-Chi when I was Shang at the Sean? Sean. 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 Wait, we're going to have to double check, but I think it was Shang-Chi. Okay, we will figure this out because we are reviewing it next week on the podcast. So we will genuinely yeah. look into that. But like, I'm not excited for those films. I don't like Disney and its morals. I'm not a huge MCU fan. I like some of their stuff. I think it's really cringe to be like, it's all sucks and it's all the same. Cause like, that's just objectively not true. Mm -hmm. But like, I do agree in my same argument I gave to Cinderella. Like I don't get people who just base their personalities online like over how much they hate it. There's no reason to retweet this trailer and be like, it looks bad. Like, what are you adding to the conversation? What are you adding? And like, I see this with a lot of people, not to name names, but like there's quite a few people who really like base their personalities based on like hating whatever the mainstream public likes. And it's like, sure, maybe this is not gonna be the most, you know, groundbreaking thing. And it might not be what you wanna see on this stage with this budget, but like, Clearly people like this. It's the most viewed trailer of all time in 24 hours. Like, 
I don't know. I, I really don't get why you would let this bother you to a point. If you don't want to see it, don't watch it. There's just no reason for you to continually interact with I, Okay, uh, yeah. I'm going to defend a bit of the haters. Um, here's the thing. I think a huge part of this is that Sam Raimi is doing Doctor Strange. And Sam Raimi is a very part of, a huge part of why the original Spider-Man movies worked. And I think using a different director and continuing the story of this particular Spider-Man, which, you know, you can have your uh, different differing opinions on what happened with Spider-Man 3. I think it's one of the worst movies ever made um, and an embarrassment to cinema in general. But, um, and it ruined, you know, a series that probably could have gone on for nine movies. But, um, you know, it does feel a little bit like, you know, uh, hey, no one particularly likes these Spider-Man movies. What if we just use nostalgia? And there's a sin, like, I'm a little bit older than you guys. So there's a little bit of cynicism on my part as well that I'm going like, you're just kind of like paying these actors to like, you know, get their chubby older bodies into these Spider-Man suits and like pretend that they want to be here uh, again, talking about actors who suck. Tobey Maguire is considered one of like the biggest assholes in Hollywood. So um, if you didn't know, uh, Michael Sarah's character in Molly's game is literally about Tobey Maguire. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so, um, you know, I'm sitting there going like, I mean, I just wish they would do Spider-Man 4. And that's what, honestly, you know what? If they can somehow figure out to a way to do a Spider-Man 4 with Toby and using Sam Raimi since he's already in the MCU and everything, then yeah, I'll allow this like uh, this CGI fest that's going to happen. I just think mm -hmm. it's too many movies right now being shoved into one. It is the fallout from the second one. Um, Spider-Man home no uh far, far from, from home. home um it's going to be about doctor strange and setting up the multiverse it's going to be sequels to both spider-man 3 and the amazing spider-man 2 and it's the sinister six that's like five movies all into one and i think that there mm -hmm. is a like cautious cynicism to like what people are feeling ultimately like if you want to hear my gut rea reaction to watching that trailer i think it's going to be setting up the sinister six i think one villain will be taken down and probably like uh scorpion will take over and then the spider-mans will show up and there will be another movie that there'll be the three spider-mans i don't think they're going to be in this movie more than like 15 minutes um mm -hmm. that's like my I... gut right now yeah Okay, so I respect and accept your criticism, and I agree with a lot of it, because, like, I am stressed about the amount of stuff that it appears they're, like, packing into whatever. Um, but, like, the honest, the, the problem I have with it is just people that 
criticize Marvel for being Marvel and there's like no other reason for it other than it's a Marvel movie so it's going to suck anyway that's that's it like that, yeah that's no, the no, only no 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 I thing. mean like I'm a huge defender of Black Widow I think it's one of the best movies mm-hmm. of the summer um, yeah like you know. and and the other thing is you can like the MCU and all these like big blockbuster movies and like all of the indie stuff too or you can only like the indie stuff or you can only like the blockbuster stuff it doesn't matter and it doesn't affect you at all it doesn't no, matter what people like. no 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 doesn't. Alina you do have to actually choose sides you have to decide if you're an indie gal or a marvel bitch and you can't be both um well, so I am so fuck off <laughs> I will say just quickly kind of getting into what I thought about the trailer itself and not the conversation around it. I was actually kind of disappointed by the trailer. I think specifically due to the fact of like, we know, you mentioned Paul, how much is in this movie and the trailer doesn't really, I feel like represent that. It's big like reveal is, um, I don't know the character's names, Dr. Oct, Oct, sure. Yeah. 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 Dr. Octavius. So you can tell I'm such a big comic book fan. Um, but like they treat that as the big moment at the end. And I feel like that was not a big enough moment for like how much this trailer was hyped up for months. I wish he said something of like, when Peter was like, do I know you? He was like, um, if only you knew, or like something to hype it up a little bit more, tease that there's more. Cause like, we all know, like the fact that he's in the movie is old news from months ago. So I wish it gave a little bit more if I'm just being like very nitpicky uh, about the trailer and I don't watch trailers that often. So like, you know, I'm not really going to be like, oh, I'm such an expert on him. But like, that was my only reaction to it. I still like, I, you know, I like the two previous Spider-Man movies in the MCU. Um, so I'm excited for it. We'll see. We'll talk about it in December. I will say though, if fucking Ned is not Hobgoblin by the end of this movie, I do not understand why he's in this series. He is the worst character. And the only reason he exists is to become Hobgoblin. There is a reason he just lost like 200 pounds and it's because he's going to be Hobgoblin. If he does not become Hobgoblin- Not because he wants to be healthy. It must be because of the character. No, he even said that. He was like, he's talked about like 300 times. He's like, can I be Hobgoblin? Can I be Hobgoblin? I think he and his agent were like, what if I lose weight? Can I be Hobgoblin? I really think he just, and he should be. There's no reason this character is in there other than to be Hobgoblin. Anyway, that's the one thing I hate about those movies is specifically his character. I think he is the worst character. Um, And every time he's on screen, I want to die. I've never been able to watch any of these movies twice because of him, actually. Um, (laughs) Because he's such a big part. He's like, I'm sure Don't fat uh, shame him. Oh my God. I'm not, I'm not fat shaming him. I'm uh, acting shaming him. He's a bad actor um, and he should be covered up by a Hobgoblin suit and voiced by someone else um and just <laughs> taken out of the film in general no there also um, should be someone underneath the masks different from him like yeah, we'll give him billing but like he shouldn't be there <laughs> like <laughs> no uh he's been in a couple movies like netflix movies and things and every time he shows up i'm like you're a bad actor boy um, he doesn't let it snow just watched that this past week yeah he was not good sorry enough. uh sorry to uh why'd you watch Chris- let it snow in august Alina, I'm excited for Christmas, okay? And I was like, fuck it one night. I was like, I'm starting Christmas. I started, I was like, I'm starting Christmas. So I played Christmas music and I watched Let It Snow. You're those people who like put out uh, uh, No, I hate Christmas normally, but this year. after July 4th. Hate Christmas normally. Hate all holidays normally. This year, I'm very into Christmas. I don't know why, so. That's odd, but 
it. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> um, why don't we get over to our main new release review for the week? Um, might be a little bit less fun than what we've had so far and what we're about to have, but it's important we talk about- I don't know. Oh? Uh, I feel like we'll talk about aspects, but this movie is goofy as hell. So uh, <laughs> it is. I'll have some fun with it. <laughs> uh, that film, though, is Nita Costa's Candyman. Uh, Candyman, the sequel. Candyman, Candyman, no, Candyman, don't do Candyman, it. Candyman. Don't, Stop! Why would you do it? <laughs> why would you do it? You are so mean. And I opened up the mirror in my phone just so everyone knows I fully did it. Uh, I, if you die, you deserve it, you know? <laughs> Thank God. Oh my God, the podcast just got so much better. <laughs> um, Christian, the bandana guy, just full on cheered. <laughs> Well, this is the sequel to the 1992 film, uh, which we talked about in Classic Clappercast, if you want to listen to our full conversation. I will start, though, because I'm the most positive on this film. Uh, really like the original. Really was excited for this one. I think it delivers wonderfully. I think this is a really clean, really solid film that does everything the first film wants to do, but just to a more confident and better level. I think the violence and the scares are, I wouldn't really say scares, but like let's say the horror elements are way more well thought out. In the first film, it gets a little bit goofy here and there, especially towards the third act. I don't know if it fully works when like she's in the mental asylum and stuff. Like, you know, I don't know if it fully works. I think here it works. I think By the, the way, we will be spoiling the, the first movie. <laughs> yeah, it's from I, 1992. I feel like people don't know that. I know, it's but from like, 1992. Once again, once again, let me just say this. If you're listening to a movie podcast and you're upset about spoilers, grow up. I've said that before and I'll say it again. Grow up. Okay, well, let's be clear. We're not spoiling Candyman until we get to the spoiler section. So if you do take a different angle on that, you know, you are welcome here and loved and thank you for listening. Um, not by me. But I will spoil the 1992 film because again, it's it's been decades. Um, but I feel I think like it's just no one's actually confident. watched that. Oh, I f we'll get that's there. True. I didn't watch it until Friday, but let Carson speak. <laughs> Literally, though. Okay, no, because side tangent, I looked at all these first fucking reviews that dropped, and everyone was like, didn't see the original. It's like, no, you don't know what you're expecting. Like, if you don't watch the original, like, you're an idiot. Why would you watch a sequel not knowing what number one is anyway? Um, I just think this one does it like more confidently. I like the social messaging. Is it a little clunky? Yes. Is it a little goofy? Yes. The CGI is not always great there's a especially at the very end one key piece of cgi that looks like laughably bad but like i and i love horror. the thing about horror is that going back to the 19 like 30s it's been used it's been tied to like social commentary political messaging like it's been tied to bigger ideas and then with the rise of the jump scare we lost that for a long time and now it's getting this resurgence and i just feel like this is like a great next step on rebuilding the horror genre. So I really like this one, but I know you two are a little bit more negative. So why don't we turn it over to whoever wants to start it out between you both. This movie is corny as hell. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, so uh, preface a little bit uh, what's been going on the past week. Um, I've been in jury duty um, and the case was not like a murder or anything, but it was a little um, just like sad and deep and so i uh felt like i didn't want to sit through something dark and carson who had gotten to see it in a preview screening like the cultural elite that he is um told me like oh it's not that bad there's only like a couple scenes that are really gross 
And so um, my friend's other friend canceled on him and he was like, please come. So I went. Um, oh, oh, and I just watched the first Candyman. That was like my other thing. I also like the first Candyman. It's pretty fun. It's a very like three and a half star horror movie. Virginia Madsen is amazing. And I think that's part of the reason this movie doesn't work is um, the lead isn't particularly uh, <laughs> magnetic to me. He's kind of the worst. And I think it should have been about his girlfriend. Um, that's that's where I'm going to sit there. I don't even think uh, Tayona Paris is particularly a great actress, but her character is far more interesting than anything that's going on with uh, Anthony McCoy's character. Um, and, you know, it's... Uh, I think if you follow the through line of this movie, especially after immediately watching the first one, there are so many plot holes that it's like Swiss cheese. And that really bugs me with horror is like when you're like, you know, uh, no thoughts, just vibes. It's like, okay, but, but wait, what? Uh, especially there's one part where he show, uh, Anthony McCoy's painted all of the candy man that have ever existed and fucking Virginia Madsen's Helen Lyle is not in that group. And I understand it was all black men and a white woman in the middle of it would have been very funny. But if you're gonna do a sequel to a movie, she's gotta be in that grouping. And the fact that she never shows up, she never interacts, but she's such a like part of this movie. Her like ghost hangs over the entire film and they purposefully ignore her. Um, and then there's a, a moment with Tony Todd who is dead by the original movie's own admission. He is no longer a spirit. He is gone now. And it's like, those kind of things really bug me in a movie. Um, outside of that, I was expecting some scary kills and I was very disappointed. Um, like I was expecting to hide my face and like, you know, I brought my fidget spinner to like have something to distract me when I was having anxiety and stuff. And like, fucking like, this is PG-13 honestly there's like one scene even Carson you mentioned there's like a th uh, throat slitting scene and I was like this is not that bad the only part that's gross is a nail scene but it's more gross to imagine it than like actually the visual it's kind of a a, a baby scene overall um, yeah just like I don't know what outside of social commentary I don't know what this movie has for it it's kind of bland and it, it makes no sense Lena what do you think so I am a noted big chicken and I don't particularly go out of my way to watch horror movies I do try to because it is important to watch a myriad of genres but again I don't I'm just I don't like the concept of summoning like demons and ghosts and murderers into my life. I don't like it. Um, I don't know if I particularly believe in those things, but I'm not asking for it. You know what I mean? So like the concept of horror is just like, mm. um, so I hadn't even heard of like Candyman before, like Jordan Peele was like getting behind this. Um, so I watched the original on Friday and then I saw the uh, sequel reboot revamp I don't know um last night so like the very next day after 
I did really like the original. Um, I thought it worked really well, but I don't like not knowing anything about it. I was surprised that it was like centered on a white woman because like um, the way everyone else talks about Candyman, it's very much like a black story. So like when I started watching it and I saw like Helen, I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> so I completely understand why they would want to um, revamp this movie. So I really, I did like the sequel, but it just really disappointed me because it's only a 90 minute runtime. And we complain a lot about long movies on this podcast, but I feel like this, the new Candyman is a, is an exception to that rule because they try and fit so many themes into this, um, police brutality, gentrification, um, urban legends, lore, etc. There's so much packed into this that they just don't have time to flesh everything out. Same thing with like a lot of the characters aren't like fully fleshed out and realize it's just, it feels like they're just going for too much. And that didn't work for me, especially in like the third act. Like you can really feel the competing voices of Mia DaCosta and Jordan Peele. Um, and I didn't like a lot of the retconning that happens in it. It was just it just felt like it was all over the place. And it, I do really like Nia DaCosta's directing. I just watched Little Woods earlier today and I thought that was a great movie. I think either Jordan Peele needed to do this and apparently he only didn't because he was too busy with us or Nia DaCosta had to do this, not both of them together. Like, I think that is the main problem with this movie. Yeah, I definitely could see that. I think especially in the screenplay, there are elements where Jordan Peele is like drastically felt. Um, with especially some of the twists and turns later on that he obviously is known for after Get Out and after Us, now he combines social commentary with that. I think really it just kind of depends, are you in or not? I think for the lore especially, I felt like I was very in for what the lore, how it was evolving and adapting the lore to modern times, what Candyman represents, um, the kind of the origin story of Candyman and each individual Candyman and putting that into a modern context. I think especially when you Two compare- more. Two more, Carson. What do you mean? You said three. Don't, don't more. say Wait, it. When did I say three? Oh, no, you said no, Candyman. Yeah, no, I, yeah okay. You said Candyman, 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 Candyman. <laughs> Um, and I was just waiting for you to do those last two. Can I just say, I was taking a bath when I got home from the screening and like <laughs> my, looking like, cause obviously you have mirrors in your bathroom and I was like, fuck this shit. And I closed my shower curtain. I was like, fuck that. I'm not doing that shit. Um, oh my God. Okay. My cat terrifying. loves to paw at mirrors and he woke me up this morning to like the mirror rattling. Cause I have like those stupid, like. 90s closet doors with the mirrors and it scared the shit out of me i was pissed at that fucking cat you're an asshole yeah no uh definitely not playing the Candyman game anytime soon um but i i just, I just really appreciated how this and i think especially when you look at i guess let's it's spoil are we okay to get into spoilers did anyone have any other spoiler free yeah. stuff uh, they yeah, really no, want to talk I, I wanna, about i want to talk about some more stuff okay. real quick okay go ahead um yeah no i was just gonna say uh his art sucked ass. <laughs> really, like <laughs> that was a that was a real problem for me, um, and it's my a problem with a lot of these movies. Uh, same with Velvet Buzzsaw, um, and movies like that where it's like the art here is bad. Like it's bad art. So like 
<laughs> it's not really <laughs> meant to be though. Like I, because I, 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 we've talked about on the podcast before. Whenever there's a something, a piece, a song, a poem, painting, picture, whatever, that is supposed to be like a masterpiece in a film. Well, that's really hard to do because you have to create a masterpiece for that to work. It's not like he's like really good. Like he's criticized for his art. He's not really like famous or successful. Like he's definitely kind of working his way up the ranks, but it's not like he's supposed to be like a masterpiece of the art form. No, no, no. But I think that the point is his initial art is bad and it's supposed to be purposefully like, um, you know, tacky or whatever. But then as the movie goes on, his art is supposed to be like, impressive or like you know um but it's just not good and it never gets good and it really like when all the characters are sitting there and they're like best for uh you know Diana Ferris's character and they're like you're just taking care of this really bad artist I was like yes you are and like I don't think this movie gives him enough time to be like a cool nice guy for some reason they give way too much screen time to the gay couple in the opening to the point that like, i was like are they the leads no they actually are just written out of the finale because they definitely died in the original script and they didn't want to kill their gays so they just disappear <laughs> vanish off into you know their queer little lives um and you know so when we're sitting there with Anthony McCoy, it's like, who is he? And then all of a sudden he's stung by a bee within the first. Like, okay. Should we, why don't we say that we're getting this is spoilers. spoilers now? Yeah, like okay. how you said, no, there's actually some Carson. I actually want some spoiler free stuff. Talk well, about. I wanted to talk. I wanted to talk about like that. I, you know, the whole thing about his art. And then I want to talk about the art critic who. This is, is. why our listeners hate you. <laughs> well, no, but I, think okay. stung, I was going to so. say stung by the bee within the first 15 minutes. And it's also in the trailer. So like anyone who. Uh, the the twist that. is in the trailer. Like we can't, That's we're not true. judging based on what's in the, the trailer. The entire film is in the trailer. So, okay. Um, let's say we're getting a spoiler conversation. You cannot be mad if you get spoiled now. Paul, continue. Yeah. Okay. So he gets stung after 15 minutes and then he starts like transforming his personality. Also, this man becomes like a trypophobia nightmare and like no one's like, hey, you look like shit. They're all like, oh, your hand looks a little bad. Mm, that's a little nasty. And you're like, the man is dying. <laughs> like when he's allowed okay, to I leave. I know the- y'all have terrible health care, but holy shit, I can't believe it took him that long to go to a hospital. Like, holy oh, no. shit. But okay, that's, that's <laughs> one of my biggest problems with this movie is that apartment is so expensive and they try to act like he's broke. The entire movie, they're like, you know, there's a feeling of like, oh, he's like, you know, not able to like fully uh, be a part of this society. I'm like, have you seen your apartment? That apartment's like a million dollars. Your girlfriend has a lot of money. So, or wife, I don't know. What was the- you think the she, I think they were just like boyfriend and girlfriend, but you'd think she could like foot the hospital bill. Yeah, well, I I didn't even. Well, give, it didn't like, come off as like he couldn't afford it. It was like he just didn't value going. I mean, his I entire know. hand rotted off. Some <laughs> men will really let their arm rot off before they go to therapy. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, okay. So I will say another thing that really annoyed me. Continuing with the socioeconomic, when he went to his mom's place, it should have been similar to the original Cabrini Greens in 1992. And it should have been like he was leaving her as like this poor destitute person. 
uh, while he lived this like gentrified life, which is the whole point of this movie, I think. I don't know what this movie is about, guys. Um, like, if I follow any through line, by the time I get to the end of it, I'm like, no, no, that doesn't make any sense thematically. Go back, go back, go back. Okay, well, maybe it's this going, going. No, that doesn't make sense. And uh, Alina, you were saying that uh, Jordan and Naya were fighting a bit, and I can really feel that. Somebody here had a really bad idea and someone had a really good idea, and I don't think we'll ever know who. Um, <laughs> and they're merging because there's great moments and then very, very stupid moments throughout. Um, there's a lot of very strange moments. For example, the girlfriend has constant flashbacks to her childhood when her dad killed her, or killed himself and it had something to do with Candyman and Candyman was haunting her and her family. But that just like never is brought up again past those flashbacks. And like I got the point of like what was happening. So I didn't necessarily feel like, oh, why are they there? But like ultimately those are rather meaningless to what the plot entails. So is the big twist, which is he is the kid from the first film. And I think that's actually my least favorite part of the plot because it really makes no sense. The idea of like he's chosen for this by Candyman because the entire point I got is that Candyman is a birth of the continued violence and hatred given and racism towards the African-American and black community. And as you see, I mean, obviously you have the slave and then like go so on and so forth. You have multiple police killings in the film and ultimately he is birthed as Candyman through his unjust killing at the end of the film. But like then at the same time, then why as a child was he selected by Candyman was like that it doesn't add up. That's the one point of the plot nope. where like, I don't think it works, but I will say I appreciate the idea. And I think the idea number one is quite smart, but I think also when you look at the real world and especially in the past couple of decades, what has inspired the movement of and the desire for real change it has been these icons these people who have been very especially against police brutality who have been just brutally and tragically murdered and they've become after their deaths these symbols and legends and i think when you look at that and you look at what Candyman is saying i think there's some connection there that is really like interesting even if the idea is not fully fleshed out or realized or clean I think this is something when you talk about like modern horror, I think that really touched me as being like somewhat poignant for the genre that's so often just like basic and bland and stupid. Except for following that through line by, you know, talking about these things, by acknowledging them, you're setting yourself up to be. Uh, you know, uh, metaphorically murdered or <laughs> like whatever the, like, so uh, what I ultimately got from this was like, if white people just don't get involved, they'll be fine is like kind of the underlying message for like a lot of this. It's like, if you don't, if you don't acknowledge all that stuff, it'll go away and you'll have your little gentrified life. But if you start dealing with it a little bit, you'll die. You'll be treated poorly and I thought that was a very weird thing for this movie to say because if it had been you know uh, I don't know it's part of the Candyman legend and I understood it in the first one and then this one was like but wait what how does that connect to and that's one of the things that like really just sat weird with me in terms of like it feels like there's something that it's trying to say but it doesn't know how to say it with the Candyman legend. So it just took bits and pieces and created this like, you know, weird amalgamation of the two. Like if I was a huge fan of the original Candyman, I would be livid right now. Um, 
because it basically like spits on a lot of the things that happened in the original. Uh, you know, I read someone's uh, letterbox review of the original and they were like, what I really love about this is it's a white woman who is falsely treated by a black man. And that's such an interesting flip on what happened, you know, with like Emmett Till and things like that. You know, that's what this is. This new one, it's like, it's a black man using police doxing, basically, uh, you know, um, another black man for a very like hard to understand plot. I mean, it's really not and hard the, to understand. Right, I but, feel like it is an interesting choice there, but like he's ultimately using racism for like the end, this guy he's sacrificing but, for what he sees as the greater. Well, why good. is it the same thing that he did initially? Both times he uses police to murder a black man. Well, the first time was not, he wasn't trying. Trying to. Yeah. But it still happens. But that's yeah, how we so understood like, to create Candyman. Like he wouldn't know how to create Candyman. He wouldn't understand the legend if it wasn't for that. You don't just, you're you... not born and you're like, oh, well, that's how you create Candyman. Yeah. I just, I felt like, I felt like Coleman Domingo's character's like overall arc was so weird. I think it could have been flushed out more, definitely. Yeah, well, um, when you were taking your break, I was saying that it shouldn't have been Anthony McCoy's story. It should have been um, his girlfriend's story is the one who uh, should have been the one who, like, you know, leads the narrative arc because that's similar to how Helen Lyles kind of worked is that she's not part of the Candyman mythos and gets pulled in by outside sources. Um you know, I also thought it could have been interesting if it was like the girlfriend that were, was more of the focus because a lot of the times like what happens when like black people are killed by police it is very heavily focused on like black men who are killed by the police and black women are like typically forgotten in that and that's like where the say her name thing comes from and like a lot of the candy man stuff is don't say his name so like it could have been really interesting to connect those things together and then at the very end of the movie and like the climax when that gunshot goes off I thought she got killed at first like I thought the police shot her and then it like pulls away and you realize they just like shot um Anthony while he was like already like on the ground and I'm like which I, is I feel like a... that could have been really interesting to do that instead yeah which is what I thought was going to happen too and I was really impressed that they were going to go oh you thought this guy what I thought was going to happen was um, we tried to create a Candyman and it didn't work. And it ultimately creates a different Candyman who was uh, Tiana Paris's character. I need to look up her name. Yeah, that would have been that. really good. I agree. I didn't I mean, movie? mention. Yeah. I do think her name's Brianna. Yeah. Brianna. Yeah. Brianna Cartwright. Okay, so they're not married. Mm -mm. Well, you can be married, not take each other's names to be fair but yeah probably i know but in terms of movies they usually don't do that i yes i agree <laughs> the the other thing with like black women in this is um anthony mccoy's mother is super underutilized and that's a real shame because she's also under underutilized in the original film and if they had gone down this route with like black women and police brutality, it would have made a lot more sense for her to have like more of a focus in the film. 
Yeah. yeah, I just don't know why that was his backstory. Wouldn't it be so much more poignant and relevant. Like you could still have his mother be worried for him if, like, let's say when they were young, they were like subjected in some way to like br- police brutality, or there was a shooting in the apartment they live in, or so you know something. Like, I just it feels like the worst possible backstory. It's like, oh, it, it's a fun ref, well, not fun, but you know, it's a clever reference to the first film and how you work it in. But like thematically, it makes no sense and adds to like literally nothing. No, and uh, okay, so you guys recently watched the first one, right? Yes. There's a neighborhood boy who um, is like really interested in Helen Lyle and the whole thing that's going on. And I was 100% sure that was going to be the reveal that that was Coleman Domingo's character. Um, And then I started doing the timeline Mm. and I was like, no, that doesn't make sense. He would have been like, (laughs) he'd be uh, like 40, not 60. And I think that that was like a mistake with the movie in terms of like, you know, backseat writing. But uh, it just feels like, if you were going to do a thing where it's like, you know, someone is trying to continue the legend, you would probably use that kid who saw it all happen and was like, oh, there was no Candyman. And because there was no Candyman, we ha- got gentrified. If we hadn't gotten, uh, if we had gotten that Candyman, the new one, then uh, we would have, you know, been still Cabrini Green. There's just, there's so many things in this movie that feel like, and I, I don't fault Fifa people for really liking it i get it i just find it like so confusing in its metaphors and i yeah and that's uh it's a movie that beat me over the head with the fact that it was trying to be like really strong about its like social social messaging but at the same time if you really outside of like you know a thing of just a very brief understanding of you know a surface level uh understanding of the film if you really start trying to dig in for the metaphors and stuff it is so scatterbrained to the point that like i was saying it seems like it says that you know white people shouldn't get involved in black matters and like all these things that are like but that's different from the rest of the messaging Um, You know what I think it could be? Because this is starting to sound very similar to a conversation we had about another film recently, The Green Knight. What I think might have happened, this film was supposed to be released June like 12th, 2020. That I would be not at all surprised if this film faced a lot of editing changes, refocusing, rethinking certain things after the entire Black Lives Matter, the reemergence of that movement last year. I would not be shocked if this year where it got delayed really drastically changed it like it did The Green Knight. Because The Green Knight, we also said, it feels very confused in what it's saying. It doesn't really say anything with that much effectiveness. Where I think the Candyman for me is like leagues above what The Green Knight delivered. I would not at all be surprised if the film got too far in over its own head due to the past year and what just the world has experienced when it comes to the themes present within the film. I could see that too. Um, It was also interesting. I watched this and then my friend convinced me to go see Old again. Um, So I watched this back to back. And let me tell you, I was literally sitting there halfway through Old and I was like, oh my God, these are just two audio books. Like all it is is characters very calmly explaining the plot to me with not a single visual storytelling element um you know i am not counting those little like shadow puppets they're cool the first time 
when it got to like the fourth one that they did, I was like, please stop cutting to shadow puppets. Just tell the story in a cool way. And I know like why they did it, but it doesn't work when they also do a flashback to 1997 because that's, it just feels like, I want to say it just feels like they didn't have the budget to like do, you know, and they couldn't figure out how to put in 90s footage without it looking really corny. Um, the other thing I've seen a lot of people talk about is how uh, this movie feels too clean to be a Candyman movie. To be fair, I haven't watched the second and third ones, but I do agree to an extent in that once they went back to Cabrini Green, uh, the original Cabrini Green, what's left of it, not the gentrified area, it should have gotten more grimy. Like the filmmaking style should have felt like you felt like, oh, this is because that's what she was trying to do i'm assuming i'm not gonna like put words in naya's mouth but like um it you know it oh it's gentrified so it's clean it's nice but once they got back to the original area and got started getting closer to the Candyman myth um it should have like become more about that i also feel like we can't uh you know ignore the fact that i don't think clive barker is at all a part of this movie um, and he was a part of the original. Um, he's the original writer of the story. Um, I mean, Clive Barker does some fucked up stuff. And I feel like this is missing his, like, you know, weirdness. Even, like, you know, Carson, you wrote me and you said he has a, he's like a honeycomb now and all this stuff. I was, like, so expecting for it to just be, like, the grossest thing I've ever seen. And it's, I, I didn't think it was uh a honeycomb i thought it was just a bunch of bee stings but that's like not particularly interesting like when they finally reveal him i was expecting like oh my god and it was like okay like he could walk out yeah. of here and probably like he could go to the doctor get some <clears throat> fluids like he'll be fine and then he gets well, his so, arm cut off and i was like oh okay well <laughs> well you yeah, know i think so like, like that is I, I i disagree to a point i mean i'm just a sucker for like really clean aesthetics like i really like the visuals in this and like i i agree what you're saying it could have been more grimy i love the score i will quickly mention but like i think the one of the kind of disappointments is like the first film has some really fun aesthetic choices that are definitely like choices in certain sequences and this film doesn't so i was definitely a little bit disappointed by that uh what were you gonna say alina um, when Paul was talking about like how clean the movie feels, I agree with that. And I don't understand why that's the case because like I watched Little Woods this morning and like, it's not like a horror movie by any means. It's more like a neo-Western, but it is like very gritty and it like that style does not translate into Candyman at all, which doesn't make sense because it would, it would make a ton of sense for like the hood to be like grimy and stuff but it's not it's just like graffiti everywhere and like that's it that's the only thing that makes it look like run down yeah compared to uh in the original when you get to when she gets to cabrini green it's like oh this this has such a texture to it it's like the saw bath mm -hmm. and they wake up and then saw one like it is gross. yes and mm -hmm. um you know uh, that you're sitting there and you're like you were messing with things outside of your not just your lifestyle, but also like your control, you're getting yourself into situations. And I found that really interesting. Um, you know, there's so many social commentaries that I can find in the original that I just am really struggling to find here. 
Um, we haven't talked about it, but the art critic is probably the worst character of the year for me. <laughs> like it's real up there. And like, I found her performance fine, but like everything about her was just like, what? Like when she's like trying to say mm -hmm. you people, it's like no one has ever <laughs> said you people about artists. Um, except for I think Anthony Hopkins in Westworld actually calls them <laughs> calls artists you people. Oh, money men. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. Um, no, it's just it, there were so many things that like with her character specifically that felt like she's an important part for that journey of the character. Um, and I don't think it it works at all. Um, I feel like the insertion of the art critic character really messes up the gentrification theme that they're going for purely because of the line when she is like, oh, well, it's like artists that are gentrifying um, the hood and everything. And then like later on when um, Anthony meets her at her apartment for an interview or something, she like takes all that back. And I'm like, well, you've already put that idea into your, our heads. And like, what was the point of that line anyway now? Because just it's the, the, the whole theme with gentrification is just definitely the worst part of this movie. And it makes sense to do it and insert it in Candyman. But like the entire movie, they're telling us that everything is gentrified. They're not showing it at all other than like the nice apartment, but they're not showing like around it other than like one shot of the Chicago skyline. I'm like, I don't fucking know anything about Chicago. It's not enough for me. You know, like, I don't know the geography of Chicago. Um, and like, it's just, it's just weird. I, the whole line with like artists gentrifying the hood, I get what they're going for of like gentrification is inevitable because like people are going to take advantage of it because like we're broke as hell young people. We need to like love to live in like a nicer apartment, even if it's in like a slightly sketchier area, but it, they don't take the time to fully delve into that. And that's like a real shame. I mean, I will say I think this year has just been like shit when it comes to critics in film. Malcolm and Marie <laughs> obviously has a, mm -hmm. a very interesting relationship with critics. This film, I think the critic is incredibly misplaced. Vicious Fun had like, I think one of the worst, like most unneeded like takedowns of critics this year and <laughs> recent years. Like, I just think continually there's this growing anger and want to like really analyze but also attack what the critic represents but continually in these projects it doesn't feel like they understand what the critic is or how critics act or like what even you would break down or criticize about criticism so it really just feels like out of place at the end of the day it feels like they want to use critics but like, even though like maybe we're not the most like uh, suit and tie critics that we, you know, out there, like it just doesn't feel real to what the world of criticism is at this point, which is like in its own right, a very disgusting, like I hate it. I literally wrote an entire like 2000 word article one night about how much I hate criticism and it's on Clapper if you want to read it. But like, it just, it doesn't feel like real at all. It feels like a tool that's out of place and misplaced. Yeah, well, and especially like right now, it's such a weird thing to be like um, the artist is hating against the like critic when I feel like the main conversation around critics right now is that they're too nice. Like, you know, what does Candyman have? Uh, it's a wildly high number. Candyman, one. I think it's like 92. 
Oh, do you oh, mean no, 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 no. Not, on, uh, not on Letterbox. That's what I was about to talk oh. about. As an 85%, on Letterbox is a 3.5. Yeah. Um, Letterbox has a Letterbox is not real critics. No, no, no. But that, that, well, that, that was actually what I was going to talk about. Yeah. Is like it has an 85%. And then Letterboxd, which is like cinema files, is like a 3.4, which would probably be like a 60, somewhere in there, 63. And then the audience score on Rotten Tomatoes is a 73. Um, it just feels like the critics are becoming like more amenable to like pop culture than like even <laughs> the populace, which is such a weird thing because you know what? I want like, I want you guys to like be assholes about art. Like stop worrying about whether or not you're going to get a screener or whether or not you're going to get, you know, a prize pack. Um, and I think I've complained about this a few times now, but it's just something that really bugs me. It's like, you see it and it's like, oh, we can collectively hate this movie. Like we've decided yeah. as a, a group. So like, it's got a 20. I never see like, there's like so few that are like hitting like the 60% mark, um, which is like, you know, the bare minimum of a good movie, which I think most movies this year are hitting. Um, and it's just something that kind of frustrates me. I, and the ones who are the, the holdouts are like considered assholes. It's just, yeah. I mean, I didn't get, I thought like, the day that the embargo released on Candyman was one of the most embarrassing days I've seen on film and Twitter in a long time. People look at those reactions and they were like, oh, so it's good. And then they're like, oh, film Twitter lied because Rotten Tomatoes said it was good. I was like, wait, it's, it's individual opinions. But like, that's why I didn't give out film Twitter is like this year alone, they've fucking sucked the dick of King Kong versus Godzilla claiming that's fucking incredible. Mitchell's in the machines, fucking anything Lin-Manuel Miranda has even like come close to touching. Uh, all these shitty fucking horrible films. And then you get Candyman and everyone was like, it's bad. I was like, I, I just don't get how you can look at Godzilla versus Kong and be like, this is great. And then watch this and be like, it is shit. Like, I, I just don't get it. It probably just didn't get PR boxes for Candyman. Dead ass, literally. And they don't have to suck up to HBO Max to get digital screeners. See? Now that oh, I feel like you know, a Candyman PR box would be really cool. Like, I would do, like, local honey and all things They like gave that. Uh, lollipops after the screening. <laughs> that's so. cute. I like that. Like, I, I feel like a Candyman PR box would be really rad. So maybe that's why people are bitter and we hate it. Because Warner Brothers. Whole shit from it. <laughs> or whoever releases. Actually, don't know. Who, it's not Warner <laughs> Brothers. Whoever released this. We're like, panning your movie. Listen to no, us. No, <laughs> I loved it. I gave it, a, I, I gave it a great review. So send me that. We're still waiting for the White Lotus PR packages. Like, come on, guys. Yeah. Send it uh, to I us. Would like, I would like to call it the fact that I wrote them and they wrote back and said, we don't have any leftover. Mm. 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 That's my Sad. opinion. We did an entire <laughs> episode kissing their ass. Just We all hated that show, really. We were just kissing ass to get the robes. And now we I know, I just robes. wanted a white lotus robe. That's, all, that's the only reason we did it. Oh, yeah. No, I'm going to go back to what you were talking about with uh, Vanessa Williams' character. Like, <laughs> having her be a cameo is such a weird thing because she like is a huge part and that she doesn't actually get to interact with her son as a candy man. I was really sure it was going to cut to her saying Anthony, 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 and he was going to show up and kill her. And it was going to be like, a, Ooh. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, no, I just, 
I wanted to like this so much more. And like, there was like a halfway mm-hmm. point where I was like, come on, stick the landing. And I was like, oh, you're not sticking this landing at all. And then I am not, you know, uh, one to particularly have like, you know, a strong opinion on this, but the last scene felt a little bit like them finishing the original ending of Get Out in a really weird way. Like, I was like watching it and I'm like, this is the same beat from Get Out, but it's the uh, like the YouTube ending we've all seen. That's like, mm-hmm. Ooh, that's too bleak. Um, and then like- Do you, hold up, sorry. Do no you bad. think that Jordan Peele was the one that leaned more towards the like police lynching things? And then no, I Mia think, was the one that did the I justification stuff? I think it's flipped. Okay. Um, I think that- um, I think that Peel had a very strong vision and then decided to do Nope instead and gave this to Naya. Nia? Naya? I um, think it's Nia. Nia. Okay, let's say Nia. Um, gave it to Nia. And then she changed it up a little bit and then he tried to get involved and it was back and forth. I know they're not supposed to like each other. I've heard that. Um, like, it's like a... Yeah. It was not like a... Um, positive experience for either of them um Mm -hmm. uh, which is you know i think it's the thing of uh, i think it's the thing of uh jordan peele trying to become a mega producer and that's really hard um when you have such a strong it's the spielberg thing you know how like every director that goes through like uh amblin is like Ugh, this is just a ripoff of Spielberg. It felt like that. Um, that she, I haven't seen Little Woods. I need to, but it felt like she lost some of herself. I also mm-hmm. have, after seeing this movie, I was already floor level expectations on Marvels. I cannot tell you how little. I don't think, <laughs> except for this podcast. I think it'd be one of the, this and Eternals are the first two that I'm like, I don't think I need to see them. Here's um, the thing. Even as a Captain Marvel, like I love Captain Marvel. I think it's one of the best films in the MCU. There goes my credit on talking about the MCU. Um, like I don't see her being a good fit for the story. Like it feels very weird that like she's the one directing it, you know? Like it just doesn't feel like it fits, but maybe it no. will. Well so I, I'm the only one that did watch Little Woods. And like after seeing Candyman and Little Woods, I have gone back to my I don't know what Marvel's is gonna be like because I did really like Little Woods, didn't like Candyman. So I I'm still kind of hopeful. She does have a voice and like she she does. I truly believe that she does. I think with um Jordan Peele just really hammering his vision got lost here. And I don't know if you guys like saw the tweet, but did you see the one? It was like a like screenshot from an article about like her experiences like behind the scenes and how like she had such a terrible time. Like I can't remember all of it. Like I can't find the tweet right now and I don't want to like waste our time on the podcast, but like um, like oh 
Candyman asked her if she like did hooking on the side while she was directing fucking Candyman. So honestly, I feel like a lot of it just has to do with her just having a terrible experience on the set. So I still am really hopeful for her. And I think it is really shitty that she fucking directed this movie and had that experience on it. Like Jordan Peele, if you're producing this movie, shouldn't you make sure that your director is like treated like a fucking director, like with respect? Like that's very shitty of you, Jordan Peele, if you're listening to this. Because I feel like he should have some pull with that, you know? obsessed with the fact that we have like i don't know 15 regular listeners and we assume that both james corden and jordan peele are a part of that. no we don't I think say james those things corden. As a we joke. say james corden's wife james corden's wife Paul, james corden does not listen to this podcast we know that <laughs> okay but like okay i know jordan peele's not listening to this but like actually though it's really shitty that he produced this movie and a black woman was treated like shit on her own movie she fucking directed like that is shameful dude like come on you know what i say to that <laughs> i say big fat nope it's the next one uh, hey. uh, <laughs> oh i'm also gonna fit in my uh my stake into what i believe is the future of uh the marvels a hundred million percent they're gonna face uh, off with candy man Oh no, you're gonna say something no, else. No, 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 no. Um, Brie Larson's uh, Captain Marvel will be depowered by the end. It comes from the comics. It's a very like common thing that happens to her, and it makes I'm not mad about that. It makes perfect sense that she'll. I I would assume also Nick Fury dies during um, Secret War, maybe, mm-hmm. and then she'll take over as the head of Shield. It's like, it's like, and then it's like, that sounds it's awful. It's going to be, but I, it's Captain kind Marvel, of like, right? it's kind what? And then, sorry. And then Kamala Khan is going to be Captain Marvel, right? No, That's she'll stay Miss. I think, um, uh, Tayona Paris's character will become Captain Marvel. Um, okay. Yeah. I forgot about her. You're right. I could see that. Um, not mad about either scenario. Yeah. Um, cause but I yeah, don't I, like Brie Larson in MCU. Sorry. Sorry to I agree like, with Ansel's. <laughs> I don't like, I just don't like Brie Larson. Um, my, my, one of my best film friends, Twitter's cheering. Woo. My, uh, one of my best friends is like obsessed with Brie Larson and like, he like posts happy birthday to her. Like he's a completely normal person. And then his like obsession with Brie Larson is just like this thing that like really makes me uncomfortable. That. Look, what I'll say is we don't need to get fully into Captain Marvel. We will have a classic Clappercast before that comes out. Um, yeah, probably. no, we can talk about it then. Uh, that Paul and I never show up to. So what's the point of listening to them? Just kidding. Just yeah. kidding. No, no, I agree. <laughs> um, just the- kidding. The rest of Clapper is good too. Basically, to be clear, they're to be clear to the listeners. No, no, to be clear, they're invited on. They choose not. Well, I don't want to talk to other people. Yeah, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding again. No. These are all jokes for legal reasons. These are all jokes. I do think that, like, uh, Nia DaCosta, like, I don't think she should be moving to the big leagues yet. In the same way, I don't believe that, um, most of the people who move to Marvel, um, move to the big leagues too quick. Um, I haven't seen anyone who like does that. And I'm like, wow, that was the good choice for you. I'm always like, mm, needed a little bit more experience before you're on 120 million. I liked Ragnarok. But then you get the Russo brothers and they only work well in the Marvel setting. 
So it's that's true. Oh, you don't well, know. I haven't uh, seen the Arrested Development episodes they've done, but oh, I didn't even sure. know they did that. But I'm that's talking about yeah, that's I was about that's to how say they became a thing, right? Yeah, they did. Uh, they did Arrested Development and then Community. Like all I know okay, is they did I Cherry. Then Cherry that's, maybe. That's I would rather. Point. I would Cherry, rather but, actually join the military, get on drugs, get PTSD, and become Cherry than watch Cherry again. So, <laughs> um, but like to Paul's point. I don't know. I feel like I really like Taika Waititi in the MCU. I like Ragnarok. It's one of my favorites. So fuck off. But he, but he did a, cu- but he did a couple movies. Um, yeah, before. he he did a good chunk. I've like seen the vast majority of them. He did a good chunk at least. I do agree with you that I think Mia needs more experience because she's only done like one indie flick before getting yeah. Candyman and then the Marvels. So I, mean, I think she needs at- more time to develop her voice. Yeah, the thing about Taika is like he had a whole he, like he had a decade plus of like great yeah. films. I really like Taika. Like, I, I know. didn't know him before the MCU because I'm a, a piece of shit. But like, I don't know. I, I agree with that. Mia needs more time to develop her voice. She needs at least like one or two other movies that like aren't like franchise. Does quite scare me though. Like if she had so many issues with behind the scenes of this film and collaborating on visions. I mean, Marvel has their vision. She's not being hired mm-hmm. to create a vision. She's being hired to have a vision be played out. And I'm just like, if she had issues with Candyman, I could easily see her having issues with the Marvels. I could easily see her like mid-production drop out of the Marvels and we get a new director. Like I could see that a million yeah. Like they did- I mean, Edgar Wright did that with Ant-Man, yeah. so. I could see a big like solo situation with the Marvels to be honest, but. We'll see. And before we go any further, let's hear a word about the sponsor for today's episode. Cool. So I think that's pretty much wrapping up our opinions on Candyman. So now that we've got our work out of the way, uh, lol, 69, guys, it's such a funny number. Uh, For the Clappercast Film Spotlight, we all picked a film uh, that, you know, it's kind of sexy, some sex in it. And let's talk about it. And Alina, why don't you kick off with your film, Disobedience, you picked? Yeah, um, I watched this for the first time this week because I Googled horny movies because I did not know what to pick for this podcast because I was like, you know, I'm a horny gal. I've had an eventful hot girl summer as many of our my friends and perhaps some of our listeners have seen on my Twitter timeline. Um, but apparently for the resident slut, I do not watch a lot of horny movies. So I had to Google horny movies and I was like, hey, disobedience. I've been meaning to watch that, but no one wanted to go see it with me when it was like out in like 2017. Cause that was like before I had Letterbox and like was comfortable going to movies by myself. So I missed out of it. At, oh my God, words. I missed out on disobedience when it was like in theaters in like 2017. So I'm happy this gave me the opportunity to finally watch it because I freaking love Rachel Weiss. We know this from like how much I love the fucking mummy movies. Um, so yeah, I watched it for the first time this weekend or earlier this week. Um, I thought Rachel Weiss and I thought Rachel McAdams had great chemistry for what I think are two straight women being lesbians. That's fine. Um, I thought it was like a really good film um, talking about like the intersections of like queerness and religion because like all the characters other than like Rachel Weiss who like leaves behind the religion are like orthodox Jew um I, th- I really liked the themes throughout this movie and I thought the sex scenes were great 
Um, at one point, Rachel Weiss spits in Rachel McAdams' mouth. And normally that kind of thing disgusts me. Like I have a very severe aversion to spit. The spit scene in Titanic, I had to leave the room when it happened. So like, I don't know, maybe Rachel Weiss is changing my views on like a spit kink. <laughs> I don't like that, that you guys are muted because you're laughing. That is the <laughs> best line we've ever said on the podcast, hands down. Um, I've been will, saving that since Wednesday. <laughs> I will say, Sebastian, I'm going to horribly butcher his last name probably. Lelio? I'm bad with the names. I went to speech therapy. You can't make fun of me. Um, I'm not necessarily the biggest like fan of him. I think like a fantastic woman, Gloria Bell, like there's been good films, Gloria. Like I like the film. So I've not really loved a film from his. This is the exception. I love disobedience. and I loved it from the first time I saw it as someone who grew up in a very religious conservative household and community. Um, and with me being just so gay, not necessarily a great fit. The puzzle pieces didn't necessarily connect. So to see this kind of exploration of the lasting pain as she returns to her home, she has to return to those emotions. She has to return to her pain. Like it really captivated me. And I think it really is just like a wonderful film. Rachel Wise can do no wrong in really anything she's in. Rachel McAdams is particularly strong here. Um, I think this is all around just like a really impressive, really touching, really passionate, uh, but also really quiet and really thoughtful piece. And I just, I really love Disobedience. I'm so happy you brought this up because I have not revisited it since when it came out in 2017. And like, I'm really happy because like, I, I, I just, I love this film. Paul, what did oh, you think about the lesbians spitting in each other's mouths? Um, so I literally retched. Um, so I was watching this. I'd had. So I'm like weirdly out of alcohol right now. <laughs> <laughs> so I knew I was about to watch a bunch of horny movies and I was like, I got to get a little buzz on. So in order, I had a quarter shot of tequila, a eighth of a shot of vodka i'm like finishing off bottles this was like um i forgot what they call it but it's like a um like a bartender mat drink or whatever they call it where it's just like a bunch of little things and you're just trying to get a buzz um followed by one beer followed by a glass of red wine followed by a shot of whiskey oh and two uh two glasses of brandy that sounds like a lot but actually it was like not that much it ended up being probably two drinks worth so anyway um, <laughs> i like had like a stomach ache um i i watched dreamers first and then i watched this um and this was boring as fuck i'm sorry y'all um i hated every second of it but we get to the spit scene and I already had a little bit of a stomach ache and I knew it was coming, but I thought it was going to be like sexy spit and not like a loogie. And <laughs> I felt my whole body retch in a way that I really have never felt before. <laughs> and um, it was one of the worst experiences of my life. And every second of this was hell. Um, I was so bored during this. I hate religion movies. Um, that's like one of my big pet peeves. Um, 
because I never find that it goes anywhere. It's either they're going to be religious or not. So the storyline to me is very uninteresting because if they aren't religious, they're going to hell if the religion is real. And if they stay religious, they're probably dying if the religion isn't real. It just feels very like, okay, you know what I mean? <laughs> That's how I always feel about these religion movies where it's like, it just feels very like, cool. I don't know how to uh, react to this. So going in with that, I knew that as soon as the uh, rabbi dies in the opening scene, I was like, this movie is not for me, but I will finish it. <laughs> and when I got to the last scene, I was like, wow, I didn't realize we watched a seven hour movie. And then I looked and it's like an hour and 30 minutes long or something like that. And I was like, there's no way, there's no way this movie was that short. Um, this was a full mini series. This was, <laughs> this was a very long film, but I'm glad you guys like it. Their chemistry is non-existent, but also they're lesbian. All you gotta be, you gotta be accepting of them and how they do their um, relationship. No, cause we can oh. talk about the next one where those girls like, yeah, those girls want to fuck. These, like, I do think, is Rachel bisexual? I feel like, I feel like I, even if, I looked it up, is, all I know is she dated, not. she dated a guy, now she has a child with a guy. But like, I well, don't believe she's publicly she's, said she's married bi. To, she's married to James Bond. Yeah, she's married to Daniel Craig. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't so, be surprised, because, you know, Yeah, favorite. it just feels very... I mean, like, also James, uh, not James Bond, Daniel Craig also gives me, like, huge bisexual vibes. So I feel like they're, like, very, like, you know, we saw you from across the I bar. I bet we they're swingers. Yeah. yeah, that's what I was going to say. Also, ap apparently, she was also played a bisexual character and definitely maybe, which I have seen, but I don't really remember. It's a rom-com. So she's played, like, a bi slash lesbian woman a lot. So yeah. Look, maybe she is, and she just hasn't said anything. If James Corden can be straight, anyone can be. Okay, let's not. Let's be There's hope for fair. you, Carson. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, so like, uh, yeah. I mean, I also I didn't like Shiva Baby for a lot of the same reason. Oh, by the way, this is the same plot as Shiva Baby. Um, yeah, this is. Uh, <laughs> like, I saw somebody in a letterbox review say that this is like the grown-up Shiva Baby. Yeah, maybe that's why I liked it because I liked Shiva Baby a lot too. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just, I, I just, I can't care about these people. I also like, um, couldn't get over the fact that the most annoying character from Jurassic Park Three was playing David, um, and that was just really <laughs> throwing me every couple seconds. Um, like he'd make a look and I was like, oh no, <laughs> it's the Jurassic Park three guy. Um, I hope he has a great career, but he's not a great actor. Um, yeah, I don't know. I get it. I just feel like, how long was this movie? 114 minutes. This movie should be like 60 minutes long. Sorry. There's not that much that happens in this. And I do, I do think that this is boring. But I you've also... said that literally seven times. Already. Well, I was gonna say I was going to say I was gonna say I was gonna you try keep to say saying it's too long and it's boring. <laughs> say no, no, something no. new. We know. Okay, okay. <laughs> I was I was trying to say something complimentary, but um, uh, okay. 
it's the only movie that made me feel like I actually might throw up that's not a horror movie. So that's impressive. Um, and I'm glad that it gave, you know, Alina a new fetish. So that was only the worst conversation we've ever had. Mouth. That's the worst conversation ever had on the podcast. I'm just going to say it. That was horrible. <laughs> That was genuinely the worst conversation we've ever had about any film ever. No, no, no. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing. Okay, so like, <laughs> it's a movie that's so Boring. muted. No, 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 no. It's so muted that like, it felt like to me, the director went, well, they've got to spit in each other's mouths. Otherwise, no one's watching this. <laughs> like nothing happened in this movie and then all of a sudden it got to the point where we we're putting it on the podcast and i was like no oh my, oh my god <laughs> you're sounding really grumpy and you're not respecting if your co-hosts like the film right now oh no i keep saying like i understand that you guys <laughs> could like it um mm -hmm. and also i love bandanas um just as an aside um and this isn't mr price's grumpy show but I like wanted a... to like this more than like I was kind of excited about this. Also, I was kind of saving this because I thought it was passion, the Rachel McAdams movie with Numi Rapachi. And when it wasn't the one about lesbians who end up killing each other, um, really bummed me out. <laughs> it was like <laughs> I also think that was part of it because well, I was ready for like lesbians fucking in an elevator and then like it being about murder and things. And then all of a sudden it's Listen, like- Listen, I saw Rachel Weiss split and spit into Rachel McAdams' mouth. And I said, hey, Carson, this is my pick. We need to talk about this. Because I was like, damn, that 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 was just a lot for me. And it it does feel a bit out of place for this movie. Like I, I do agree with Paul that this is like fairly- um, muted and bland but I wasn't mad about it I think it like fits the theme Agreed. um and like I am not like super connected to like my religion but I am like to an extent so I did find like the characters like pretty relatable even though like they're Muslim uh, I'm Muslim and like they're Jewish like I don't know I, I just really liked it a lot of it spoke to me um I it is like a little bit slow at points but I, I liked it I, I was happy I watched it so what are you going to do? Sorry, Paula didn't like it. <laughs> no, I did. I, I'm glad I watched it. Um, but now I want to watch Passion. So I'm probably going to go watch that tonight. And go well, see we it. need a film spotlight next week. Um, <laughs> let's go over to my film that I picked, The Handmaiden. And I, it's kind of weird because like you mentioned, we decided we're going to do this. And I was just like, what's the most like graphic, but like not necessarily gross sex that is just like continual sex. And The Handmaiden's what came to mind. Maybe I should have picked In the Realm of the Senses. Maybe I should have picked Tampopo, where like they put live shrimp into a girl's pussy. Like maybe I should have picked that, I admit. But like, look, it's funny because this film I don't even particularly like that much. I don't like the color palette. I think it's rather boring if I'm being honest. It's just like so long. But you know what? There is passion here. Even though the sex, I remember it got torn apart when it came out because the sex is not realistic. And I, I'm gonna be honest as a gay man, don't really fully know how lesbian sex, you know, the full dynamics and physics of it. Um, but like, it's just a <laughs> lot of sex. The only reason I picked this is it's just like, so much sex but i think like yeah like i was saying though there is passion i like the two main actresses a lot um there is stuff here to be said about like uh toxic masculinity and stuff so, like i appreciate the film 
but it's not one I've ever particularly liked. This is one like it's quite hard for me to sit through, especially like the first hour and a half because it is a long film. Yeah, when I this was the last one I watched out of our like horny films marathon, and I turned it on this morning and I saw that. Cause like, I don't really like to read about movies before I watch them. So I like had heard of this before, but I didn't know anything about it. So I turned it on and it was like two hours and like 20 minutes. And I was like, fucking hell. And then it was subtitled and, and it was like in Korean or like Japanese or something. I honestly don't know. I forgot both. to look it up. It and was I was, both. it's in both. I assumed it so, was both, but I wasn't sure. So then I was like, like God fucking damn it. <laughs> wait. Uh, and I was like, uh, okay, I can't oh. wait. I have a joke. I have a joke. Okay. Um, okay. So I saw it. Let me repeat it. So because you ruined my joke flow. Okay. Be aware so that's sli- that's staying in. I'm not cutting any of that. By the way. Okay. <laughs> fine. <laughs> fine. I was just gonna say I saw that it was long as shit, and I saw it was subtitled, and I was like, God damn it! I don't want to watch this, but I will do it for Carson. And I will do it for Bong Joon Ho, and that was my joke. And I really did not stick the landing because Paul had to interrupt me. <laughs> but it's not Bong Joon Ho. The the point. No, I'm talking about like his line at the Oscars about like the barrier of subtitles. Oh, okay. that was the reference. I just was like, I just thought. I know it's not some, Bong. Like, what Joon-ho. Alina? Do you think all films having to deal with Koreas by Bong Joon Ho? What close minded yes. individual? <laughs> uh, no, 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 no. So, um, I was going to say that I did the exact same thing with you, um, because it starts and I was like maybe this is in English. Cause I know he did Stoker. Maybe like, maybe I'll be excited. Cause this is 2016. And then it goes all yellow text is in Japanese. All white text is in Korean. And I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, yeah, I, I, okay. I kind of wish it didn't have so much sex because the mystery aspect or like the thriller was really good and i was like oh, i wish i could show this to my dad but like i'm not gonna be like dad watch what's stopping porn. you you know maybe I mean, it's time for you and your dad just to enjoy sit some, down and watch some porn <laughs> some thigh slapping you know um no i i i really actually did like this a lot um it's wild that it's like the 41 41st um uh, highest on letterboxd so that was cool. Um, yeah, I just, I really liked it. All the performances are really great. It's gorgeous. Um, uh, I saw someone posting about last night about uh, the best movie um, fashion. And this was on there and that's 100% true. It's gorgeous. Uh, I do feel like 20 minutes could have been cut out mostly from act one. There's like a point where you're like, guys, like guys get to it but the rest of it i really enjoyed i think it's really beautiful um and it was really fun i'm glad you picked this one mm-hmm. yeah i also really liked it um for pretty much the same reasons paul did it did feel over long in like points but i did really like the story especially in like act two when they're going and like filling it all in with um the i don't remember any of their names the girl who's not maiden like the rich girl and like how she was part of the scheme the whole time I liked how they filled that all in um this was very graphic both in like the sex and the like torture sex part of it like I'm down for some ass banking but like the marks on her butt I was like Jesus Christ like this is a lot even for me I can't 
Um, now, if Rachel McAdams like, said, asked you, would you be down though? <laughs> if Rachel Weiss asked me, I'd okay, be down. Okay, okay. But I don't know. I just, please don't leave marks on me. That's just too, I, can, I can't do that. Um, and yeah, you know, I'm not a lesbian. I'm not even like kissed a girl, but like the sex scenes in this did feel very unrealistic unreal- for um, a lesbian relationship based on what I've heard from my queer female friends. Um, it very much felt like, who's the director of this? Park Chan, Chan Wook. Um, someone was like, yeah, this is how lesbians fuck. Cause nobody actually scissors, right? I've been told nobody actually scissors. And there was a very heavy scissoring scene in this. And I was like, fucking hell. Also, this is a hot take for episode 69, but 69 is an overrated position and I don't like doing it. Uh, there's a very prominent 69 scene in this also. Yeah, there was. I was proud of you for that, Carson. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I will say that scissoring scene. I was about to answer your question about 69ing and then talk about some things. And I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> We're going to leave a little <laughs> bit of mystery for uh, after the podcast. And then we can talk about it. because. <laughs> I was like, well, from my experience. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that. I mean, up to you if you want to shut on your movie review podcast. No. Up to you. No, no, no. I think I we're will good. quickly I say the scissoring we... in this movie is most memorable sex moment until the cartwheel from Progressive Touch. Easily, like that has been <laughs> oh in my God. head is until the cartwheel like, and Progressive Touch. Like I, I don't get me wrong. I did enjoy all the sex scenes. I thought they were great. I really liked how they were shot. They're just a bit unrealistic for like what a lesbian relationship actually is from what I've heard from lesbians not other lesbians I'm not one um that, that's all I mean so they were Paul, great <laughs> who has a take on 69 what else were you gonna say sorry mm-hmm. um no I, I I was just gonna say I really like this and uh it's just really pretty it's so pretty and I mm-hmm. this is my first uh Park Chan Wook uh film I started stoker um but i couldn't remember if it was the film that everyone talks about there being a really bad pencil scene in and i couldn't there's it's either that or the other movie with nicole kidman the beguiled and i'm not sure which one it is um i don't think it's the beguiled because i've watched the Beguiled and i don't recognize an idea i think it's stoker and it has a really graphic pencil scene like apparently like someone's hand gets stabbed with a pencil and i was not ready for Mm -hmm. it so I just turned it off. And so I've just never gone back to him in general because I know that aspect of him. I know that sounds really dumb, but that's like what I think of with him is like, oh, I think it's supposed to be all of his stuff is very violent and I don't really want that. And this was violent, but not aggressively so. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I think I'll go boy. through it. We really need one. Yeah, I know I need to all watch No, I said like we, I have not seen it either. Oh, there. This is also my first Park Chan-wook movie. Uh, yeah, so um, I've also heard like the uh, Mr. Vengeance and Sympathy for Lady Vengeance and like a bunch of my friends like tell me it's like those are the best movies. So I'll get to him. Um, yeah, so yeah, he's my blind spot. So this was good to start. Cool. Well, why don't you introduce our last film, Paul, The Dreamers. This was your selection. Yes, it was. Um, so... Back in college, I worked for this, uh, I was doing this like project where our school was paying for us to do a like 
um, fashion campaign for this um, horse themed dressage. It was called dressage and it was like horse themed bags. Um, very tacky, like awful looking stuff. Anyway, so they were like, make an ad for them. And we decided because they were so tacky, we should do like a really sexy ad. And so my friend and I, with my college's money, bought every horny movie there ever has been. And we just binged them all on this college dime. And this was one of them. And I remember us putting it on and like, we would watch with like a group of people. I think I watched with like 10 friends. And so this movie basically is a college student in the sixties, an American college student goes and lives with these incesty twins and they all just fuck. And that's the entirety of the movie. And <laughs> it is so gross at points in terms of like it, it should make me wretch, but something about spit is worse than um, playing with period blood for me for some reason. Which is insane. And yeah. Uh, like <laughs> <laughs> it was just, it was too much. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, the big part about this though is like Eva Green is a like child in this. And it is so weird. Like she's like early 20s and it's so weird to like see this movie and how explicit it is. And then know that she went on to like have a, a very healthy, normal career as like a Hollywood actress, um, which, yeah, which even she talks in interviews and she's like, I'm shocked that that happened. I really expected that I would become like a, a dark, you know, kind of, uh, you know, indie star because of that. And nope, she went straight on to being James Bond's girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Um, the backstory of how you found this movie is insane, but I love it. Um, yeah, I really like this movie. In fact, I loved it if I ignore all the incest in it. Cause like, I was like, Hey, this is kind of sexy, but they're twins. And that's a bit gross. If you think about it hard <laughs> enough, or if you just think about it in general, cause it's like, this movie is fucking filthy. Like even for me. Um, but yeah, I knew I would like it because I really like France. I really, and I really like the 1960s. So like when I read the synopsis that this was set in like 1968 Paris, I was like, um, I liked a lot of the sex scenes in this also. I think Michael Pitt, especially his lips, very hot, but also he kind of scares me because he's like a recurring character on Hannibal and he's fucking terrifying in, in Hannibal and neither of you two have seen it and you need to because he's so scary in it. Um, like, cause that's the only thing I know him from other than like this movie now. Um, yeah, the period blood scenes were like grosser to me than the incest. And I say that as somebody who like has a period, cause I am a girl, obviously. Um, the part where like, he's like, Michael Pitt is like fucking Eva Green on the like floor. And then they like reach down and their hands are bloody. I didn't realize that was like period blood at first. And I was like, oh my God, did he like fucking like rip her open? What the shit is happening? And then I was like, oh, it's just her period. Gross. And then there's another time when they're in the bathtub, like all three of them are in the bathtub naked and she's like bleeding in the bathtub and everyone <laughs> is like so fucking unconcerned. I'm like, that's disgusting. Like literally I hate the whole like white feminist thing of like periods being like, um, 
like I don't know what they're trying to do with it but they're trying to like destigmatize it which is fine but it is gross to a certain extent and the period of blood in this is this movie is fucking gross and I hated it like we don't I don't want to see that it's nasty it's worse I, than the spit and disobedience now, you know what's interesting <laughs> as the gay kid I'll quickly as the gay guy I'll quickly jump in and say I didn't mind the period of blood at all I thought I was going to the you concept guys are insane gross but it's done that so subtly and like like when it gets on their face and they're making out like this movie low-key is hot like it's a hot <laughs> fucking film if no, it was regular blood i would be fine it's the fact that it's period blood and i have had a lot of period sex but i could not do it in this movie and i don't know why no and it gets like well, on their face and like their neck and like it's, it's gross he's using his fucking finger like a paintbrush basically with it and like i'm sorry like not that i'm into it because number one it's a woman number two it's period blood and i don't find that hot but like on the cinematic screen in the cinematic realm i was like this is hot so i was really I mean, here for it it's not gonna lie even like uh, there's so many like I just remember like there are so many good sex scenes in this even like the masturbation scene where she's like do it like no one's watching oh this, hot. It, this <laughs> movie is hot it's just one of those movies where like and I don't say it as like it turns me on but like it's just one of those films that like excru- like every piece of it is just like hot and it's very similar in the same sense to like um, just the atmosphere and just everything about it. You know, like one of the things about Call Me By Your Name is like that film is just sweaty and it's hot and it's like just this summer and it exudes that in every sense. And this film is very similar. Like the atmosphere here is stellar. This film, like Paul, and we don't always have the same cinematic opinions, but between this and The Cook, The Thief, The Wife, The Lover, whatever that's called, um, like when you recommend a film it's now to the point where it's like i can't really ignore it because you fucking kill it with like recommendations i love <laughs> this all... movie so much and both of those movies were nc-17 just pointing that out <laughs> yeah <laughs> everything i'm pointing out is like here let me show you the dark side of cinema <laughs> <laughs> welcome (laughs) but also though this film has past the sex stuff which is very like obvious and very like something big in it but like the cinematic discussion and the critical discussion in this i found to be like low-key inspiring like i just this film in every sense was just like my jam this was my vibe my atmosphere my like pace of dialogue my references to cinema like this film like really spoke to me I really like can't express enough like how much I love this film. But maybe it's yeah. narcissistic because the guy's from San Diego and it released on my birthday. I don't know. But so funny. It's so weird. I cause I knew about the birthday and then he was like, I'm from San Diego. I was like, oh God. Um, <laughs> but no, like I, I really love this film. Yeah, no, it's um it's also like one that's completely like disappeared. Like obviously we uh we had to find it through sneaky means because I own a, someone stole my DVD copy. Um, I had an NC-17 version and it would be like my go-to that I would show to like friends and be like, you want to watch something wild? When you and, said it's your go-to, I thought you were going to mean for something else. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that must when, be who stole it. Whoever stole it yeah. definitely stole it for like that purpose. Let's be clear. They're like, oh, Paul, some hot yeah, porn. Right? Looks uh, like Eva Green as Venus de Milo is like one of like, the hottest scenes it's so clever and um yeah no there's just so much in this movie that like even outside of the sex even outside you just sit there and you're really like yeah this is kind of like you know uh, this whole story of someone trying to figure out like what he wants in his life and getting into a situation that is like so toxic and he's just like yeah sure whatever 
And I love why it starts falling apart is just like, it is kind of how these things really do happen when you get into like these bad situations and why they end is like, it's split second moments. It's just like, oh, everything's fine. And now everything is crashing. Um, well, what I love is, and, and it, I found really unique about the film is how he influences the relationship also. It's not just him getting consumed by this toxic emotion, toxic humans and toxic relationship. He also directly influences it. He tries to change it. He tries to help these people. And to some degree, he does succeed, or at least, you know, he has that impact. And that's a relationship dynamic you don't normally see in cinema. It's very layered. It's very complex. It's very mature. Yeah. Well, and it's it's so interesting. I think that this film, you know, uh, a lot of times when an NC-17 movie happens and there's a original rated R version, um, usually I like the R-rated version better, but there are like plot moments that are cut by the NC-17. One of the major things is, um, you know, him having a, pic- a photograph of Eva Green hidden under his dick (laughs) it's like it's completely cut from the rated r version which is like a huge moment in terms of plot like this guy is just as weird as them and i think you need to show that he's just as weird he like pisses in the sink he hates peeing in the toilets he pisses over some guy's toothbrush (laughs) it's just like and i also get like people who are repulsed by it but the same Mm -hmm. reason i get that people are repulsed by like cook thief wife lover um and also oh, it's- can we wait can we talk about the banana like he <laughs> <laughs> just fucking splits the banana in three that was a lot for me i liked that <laughs> splits the banana in three and then it actually i love one of the things i also love is if you've watched it numerous times is you notice how much of it is just incredible acting from the cast as like something goes wrong and they play it, they just keep going. Um, you know, he mm-hmm. splits the banana, but one part falls on the ground and that is repulsive. And he just picks it up and eats it. It's like, that's that's acting. <laughs> that is like commitment <laughs> to be like, yes, we would be this gross. You know what it is though? It's like, and and not saying like this is authentic as in like I've done this shit, right? But like there is something really authentic about just I think why it doesn't feel like repulsive to me in the same way that a lot of projects very similarly do is like that angst, that not caring, that like just whatever attitude and going with the flow to like these really kind of disgusting degrees. Like that is just real. Like these characters feel real. Their characters feel real. You might not like that. That might not be like what we aspire for in society or whatever, but like, I really felt this authenticity that I think really helped make the film not feel like it's exploiting all these gross ideas. It's not trying to be gross out in a very disgusting way. Like it really feels like this authentic angst in this really unique way. Yeah. Well, and I think also having the parents uh, bookend a lot of it really does help with like, oh yeah, you know, they have lives and they've like rejected those lives because they have such a weird relationship that their parents allowed and continue to cultivate, um, you know, Eva Green's very against them knowing about certain aspects of their relationship, but the parents care 
and don't at the same time in a very uncomfortable way that like kind of makes me want a prequel to know like what their deal is <laughs> like how did you create these kids um but yeah um i'm glad you guys like this one because yeah it's one of those that i was just like i literally remember um like binging through all these horny movies and then this one hit and i was like oh boy this one's different it's not just like here's a dick it's like something more mm -hmm. okay before we move on i have a question of the week for i guess you two and our listeners but relating to the movie who's better buster keaton or charlie chaplin chaplin leave us a review with five stars and tell us your answer um i have only seen one movie of each but i kind of lean more towards buster keaton but again i have yes. only seen one movie from each so i don't have like enough of a background knowledge to fully pick but i'll have you seen here over the kid okay, i've only well seen the kid in sherlock jr Okay, that's not fair. To be fair, I know um, that's that's what I said. I haven't Paul, seen how, much, and, okay. out of the two I've seen. <laughs> Paul, have you seen like Chaplin's filmography? I mean, I've seen a good deal. I just don't, I just don't find there's something about Buster Keaton that mm -hmm. feels okay. If I was watching in 1920s, I think I would like Chaplin more, but. I feel like Keaton used the silent medium in a way that doesn't get boring Ooh. as it's moved on. Like we're at a hundred years out from these movies. Yeah. And I feel like Chaplin was interesting back then, but Ooh. is a little weak now. Buster, I feel like you could still watch and like, you could have like a five-year-old today watch and they would probably find Buster Keaton funny. That's so interesting because mm -hmm. I feel like Buster Keaton, I feel almost the exact opposite. I think uh, Buster, like he's fun, but you look at Chaplin, I still watch his films. Like the circus has multiple scenes that I'm like still just blown away by how clever, how smart, how creative they are. Like his technical craft in every piece of that film or any film he makes from the acting to the screenplay to the sounds to the score to the where the camera is how you use the camera how you use optical illusions it like is stunning i think chaplin's one of the best ever when it comes to filmmaking like i think he is up there if not all time the best filmmaker of all time how he uses that medium how he pushes it his inspirations behind it thematically I think it's a masterwork, but I really, to be very clear, I'm okay if people have a different opinion. It was this opinion in the film, and I said it was a shit opinion because he, he said he shit on Chaplin. He's like, Chaplin is bad. If you say Chaplin is bad as a filmmaker is where I have issues. If you prefer one over the other, whatever. But like, I would Chaplin, I would say with a passion over uh, Keaton. But I also feel like that's part of like, just being like part of what that represents in the movie. It's just like that being, yeah. It's almost like, you know, sitting with a group of like three people like once a week and just shitting on like movies mm. constantly. And there's like that one with the horrible opinions. <laughs> that one with like yeah. the shit opinions. And like sometimes and her name usually... is like Paul Price, you know, some would say. <laughs> Let's call him Paul. And like sometimes he just, every week he gives like the shittiest opinions. Oh, weird. Because I feel oh, like five. for best picture. <laughs> um, no, I said best animated and I still stick with that. Would it not uh, be in your best picture lineup right now? No, no. Okay. I, I okay. It's not in mine either. I was not judging you. I was just clarifying. <laughs> Let's no, no, calm no. down. Like I he, mean, was a, we have... he was offended by that one. <laughs> well, because like I'm, 
I'm just saying it's the best animated that I've seen this year. It's not like a high art. Um, but uh, no, I was just laughing at the fact that you just made fun of me for having bad taste seconds after saying that all of my opinions are good. No, well, my I recommendations. I said the recommendations and actually, you make to me are good. And actually, I, uh, you know, I didn't dislike your recommendations. So like, I did dislike Alina's. Alina's was crap. But (laughs) no more religious movies. (laughs) I liked it. I liked it. Do you think disobedience? Would you say it was boring? Would you say? Um, No, I I I'd say it was bland. Here's the thing: it's boring. It's bland. It's boring. It's bland. That was literally for five minutes in a row. boring yeah huh uh, why didn't i go to tiff i wonder why but uh, <laughs> it's in love all of my reviews are gonna be it's boring it's bland <laughs> discussion question something not funny uh, <laughs> i'm kidding i'm kidding i'm never trying to be funny i'm just trying to like actually like because i feel like people always feel really uncomfortable about responding to people's letterbox reviews and so i'd like to have a discussion question so it's like you can join if you want i don't i do care. enjoy the discussion questions yeah like, they are great so, sometimes i do actually answer them <laughs> <laughs> thank you <laughs> anyway cool well that's gonna wrap up i think our episode it was a Weird one, but I think a very fun one. Let's end this off how we always do with our recommendations for the week. I will start us off. Um, I watched The Secret of Nymph, I believe it's called. It's the Don Bluth movie, 1982 animated film about this single mom. She's a mouse. She has to move her family, but one is sick. And it's just like this really batshit. And it starts off as this really sweet and charming, simple animated feature. And then it just gets batshit insane with like sci-fi. There's some weird like magic going on. Like it's so deep, but like the performances are amazing. This animation is amazing. I watch movies like as I fall asleep most nights. And this is one I just kind of casually threw on because it was on the Criterion channel right now. And I was just like, oh, I'm just going to fall asleep. And like, I was hooked for some reason. I don't know why, but like, I really, really love this film. So if you've not seen The Secret of Nymph, you know, it go check it out. It's a simple 82 minute animated feature. It's on Prime and Criterion channel right now in America. So go check it out. Paul, what is your recommendation this week? <sighs> okay, so <laughs> my recommendation, it's a little out there. And when I say a little, you're really gonna roll your eyes, is not to hate jury duty. And I'm gonna be honest here. Like legitimately, one of the things when I mentioned to everybody like oh i had jury duty every single person like was like oh my god that's the worst thing i'm so sorry for you and here's the thing i made friends i did my civic duty i i got to be foreman that was fun but also like in general like in terms of like a storytelling event like we're like film people we like love all the like it is something that's like a part of life that like not everyone gets to do a lot of people are kicked out and I just think, I think it's very interesting. Like after having finished it, I, I know it sounds dumb to recommend just not hating it and not trying to get out of it, but like, go do it. It's like, it literally, so to me, is like a free show that like also is, it was 
great. And it's just very dumb to me. It's just like, as a, like, I'm thinking of it more as an entertainment thing. Like people treat it like such a hardship and it's like, no, it's actually kind of cool. You're sitting there and there's a whole group of people doing a show for you. One of 12 people. How cool is that? Like <laughs> you're seeing a whole ass play. And then at the end, you get to decide the ending of the play. Like it's very <laughs> like as a like if you if you yell death penalty enough, the guy at the end dies. Yeah. You're gonna control the ending. <laughs> no, that's what I'm saying. Choose like, your own adventure. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, uh, you know. Uh, also, I got to be foreman. If you like are the type, if you're a you know gregarious person, go be foreman. It's fun. What does that mean? I just this is a um, I was head juror. Um, oh, I hope someone makes a courtroom drama about your jury duty experience. Um, I will say that feels like a psychotic like segment <laughs> to be like, it's a performance, like this someone's live might be on the line, but like, it's fucking entertaining. No, no, no. Um, but like, I will no, ask you though, like, question. Point... Well, can I ask a question first? Yeah. So every day when you texted us, ugh, I hate jury duty. Was that for like pity? Was that like, wh why did you text every day that you hated jury duty? And well, it turned I, okay. out you were having Here's a ball and watching a show. <laughs> Here's the thing. Well, that's why I'm, I'm saying, like I'm recommending it is because retroactively, I realized what a great experience it was. But like during the time waking up and having to drive across town and getting there at 9 a.m. and like you're sitting there and you have no phones, um, but it was like, it's just a very interesting thing. Um, and then getting into that jury room and then sitting there and you've spent two full weeks with these people. And then all of a sudden, like, you have to like, literally not just talk to them probably for the first time more than like a, Hey, how are you? Do you, do you have kids? What do you do for a job? Like get in there and talk about like morals and stuff. It was fascinating just as like a person. And I feel like Here's another reason. I sat there and a lot of very smart, a lot of very clever people who have good opinions and matter for this stuff, try to get out of it, leaving the mean, dumb people. Um, I'm sorry if anyone from jury duty is listening. There were some mean, it wasn't you if you're listening. Did you recommend the podcast like, <laughs> to everyone there? Uh, yes, I actually did recommend the podcast. I love that. Uh, I everyone. hope they're listening. Hello, jury duty uh, people. Hey. <laughs> no, but like, <laughs> you know, you're you're valid in this moment. And it's like, it's important. And it was just all overall. It was just like, hey, uh, you know, go to jury duty. I know it sounds stupid, but like, go in and be like, open to it. <laughs> Don't you get paid for being Yeah, what there? you're saying. $15 a day. Yeah, yeah. Still, it's, it's, that's it, still not. That sucks. Yeah. But. Yeah. But it's also with, uh, <clears throat> I also got gas money and stuff like that. So, like, it's not the worst thing in the world, but like, yeah, it's not like, you know, I'm not making bank. Um, I do feel like also, it would like, be fun to be, sorry. Yeah. I do oh, I feel like so. it would be fun to be like a juror on like a serial killer case or something. I would no, see, that. see, see, the, the thing is, like, from one of my friends is currently on a murder trial and he didn't tell me about the murder itself. He just said, it's not fun. Um, well, it goes I, on for so long. That was no, not just I not just like that. true crime though. So I feel like it would be fun, yeah, like witnessing you, true crime unfold. Also, wouldn't it be true. weird, like 
I don't know. I guess this is more because I remember when El Chapo came, like, was being tried. There's a lot of issues of people not wanting to do it because they're worried about, like, getting killed. If I, like, convicted a serial killer and then, like, they broke out of prison, you got to think you're up Okay, yeah, I get what you mean. Uh, well, okay, okay, take it back. But, that would be but scary. Also, <laughs> but also they were talking about, like, you know, uh, it, it does kind of weigh on you after a while because uh, you're listening and it's trying to convince you that someone did something wrong or that someone was wronged. Mine was someone was wronged. Um, and, you know, it was an accident, but uh, it does kind of like mentally drain you a little bit. So like, I would think that a murder trial where I'm looking at photos and hearing from victims or their parents or something, I think it would be like a little bleak. I feel but, like it probably was- I do like, all that stuff like after the fact though is why I think I would like it. We can cut all of this tangent, honestly. No, no, no. no. It does make me, it makes me sound like a sociopath though. No, no, no. Paul literally just said you go to jury duty and they give you a performance. Like, I think you're okay morally here. You don't sound like the crazy person. My point was, my point was, I feel like uh, this was something I actually talked with literally one of the lawyers about. Smart people are able to get out of it by lying and they're the ones who need to be in the jury room because things justice doesn't happen because dumb people are the ones running the jury room. Uh, so do your civic duty and don't complain about it. Like actually like be there for it. Uh, that's all. It's just, it was just a very interesting thing. I went over the past two weeks, went from like really hating it and like despising it to getting out. And like, this was overall like, a net experience. Also go make friends. Like you spend every day with these people. Like I've made like four new friends. Like they're coming to my trivia nights. Like <laughs> I have friends. Now. Wait, <laughs> like, I get to I get to meet your jury duty people. That's so fun. <laughs> uh, yeah, and also I'm uh, friends with the plaintiff lawyer. Um, we're supposed to go grab drinks soon because <laughs> you know how I am. <laughs> so Alina, well, what's yours? Yeah, Alina, what, what life experience yeah. are you gonna recommend? <laughs> I recommend trailed um, in a sundress. <laughs> I still haven't done that, which is a shame. Um, <clears throat> so I have not talked about professional wrestling on the podcast in a while, so I will. Um, mine is I'm watching the show on Stars called Heels um, because I saw a variety article that CM Punk is going to be guest starring on the third episode, and I was like, oh, I love him because he just came back after like a seven year um hiatus retirement whatever you want to call it to the professional wrestling world he like just debuted in AEW like all elite wrestling and I don't watch that and I don't think I will because I'm not like an avid wrestling fan anymore anyway this is a tangent so like I, I found out about the show because CM Punk is guest starring on the third episode and I was like okay I like him that's fun so I watched the first two because all six episodes are not out yet it's one of those annoying shows like the olden times when like everything is like released weekly um, but I really like it so far. It has Stephen Amell and uh, Alexander Ludwig, and they're like two brothers. I think it takes place in Georgia, um, and their father like passes away before the series starts. Um, and his dad used to be like an indie wrestling promoter. Like they have their own like indie wrestling promotion. And Stephen Amell is the older brother, and he takes it over. Um, and then Alexander, and he's also like the heel in it, like the villain. 
um, and Alexander Ludwig Ludwig's character is the like baby face like the hero of like their wrestling promotion but like in real life they're um kind of like flipped like Stephen Amell is like the better guy and like Alexander Ludwig Ludwig's character is like kind of an asshole so they kind of have like a Cain and Abel thing going on I really really like it so far I think wrestling fans are really gonna like it I don't know if non-wrestling fans would be able to get into it I do think it does a really good job of like showing um the behind the scenes and the lore and like the pro wrestling culture um for people that like don't know it already like I do um so yeah I I really like it if you like wrestling you're going to like it I don't know if you will um if you don't um, there's only two episodes out so far, so maybe my opinion will change as the like season continues, but I really like it so far. It's great. I'm a big fan. Well, so check that out. So you have now a show yeah. to watch, you have a movie to watch, and you have a jury duty to attend. So good on us. That's <laughs> episode 69 of Clappercast. What an episode. I think it lived up to expectations. Um, where can we find everyone on social media? Alina, go ahead. I am at Alina Folds on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And also the Women X Film Festival is this weekend if you're listening to Clappercast the day it drops. So you should buy a ticket because it is only £12 for you to watch 77 short films digitally. That's pretty rad. 77, all directed by women and non-binary people. All? (laughs) At PriceLikeTag on Twitter and Letterboxd. And you can find me on Twitter at BP underscore movie reviews, Letterbox Carson Tamar. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week to discuss all things cinema right here on the pod. I guess I also should plug, you can email us at clappercast at gmail.com. Leave us a rating, subscribe, like, all that good stuff. You know what to do because every other podcast in the world recommends it except for us. So just go do all that. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye.